Hey, everybody. I'm Jesse Hutch. I uh, hope you tune in, listen to Craig on Neil Before You Pod. Currently, I am on DC's Batwoman playing Agent Tavaroff, and I'm going to go way back. See if you can find me in Freddy versus Jason. Good luck. <laughs> Have a great day. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is starting 2023 as it means to go on. We'll let you interpret that. I'm your host, Craig, and for the first podcast of the new year, we are talking about the end of last year, the news and trailers and things that appeared around December 2022. And joining me for this is someone who thought he was getting an easy ride for the last podcast recording of the year, but turns out he's on one of the busiest ones. It's Chris. Hello. Welcome to News. Hello. I'm glad to be here at News. You should be. And Happy New Year to our listeners, because it will be the new year by the time this goes out, even though it isn't the new year yet. Time travel. Time travel, or production schedules, more like. But before we get to our trailers and news, let's start with the usual roundup of what's been in front of our eyes recently. So what have you been watching? What have I been watching? Well, a lot of my regular viewing hasn't really been on because it's the winter season, so tons of stuff goes into hiding or hiatus or wraps up before Christmas. But on at the moment, Mythic Quest is back on Apple TV, so I've been watching that on Fridays. I've been enjoying it. It's not been as much fun as some of the previous seasons, I think, but I'm still enjoying it. I'm still watching it. Recently finished on Amazon was The Peripheral, which I've enjoyed quite a bit. I think it's quite a good adaptation of the book and I've enjoyed what they've done with it, the visualisation of it, albeit that they've changed certain things from what they've got in the book but I don't think that's particularly harmed it. They've changed bits to make it more episodic and to try and tell the story from a different angle and I think that's worked. So yeah, I've enjoyed that one. My only new Christmas watch of the year was the Guardian's Christmas special. Ah yes on Disney Plus. That was my only new Christmas viewing this year. I did a couple of retrospective watches with yourself where we went out into town and saw a couple of Christmas classics. Muppets and Die Hard. Yes, Muppets and Die Hard. Not in the same film, though (laughs) I totally do want to pitch that. But yes, Muppets, Die Hard, Batman, all the festive classics that you could expect. But new-wise, The Guardian's Christmas special, which I thought was okay. It's a Christmas special. I think you judge Christmas specials by a different bar than anything else. It was fine, yeah. It was a 45-minute feel-good thing, clearly yeah. cobbled together on the free time they had while filming the third <laughs> Guardians movie. We happen to have these sets built for filming the Guardians thing. We can do this. We can bash this one out. And we can maybe go to Kevin Bacon's house, if that's his real house. It might be. I don't know. Did the usual Kevin Bacon's house? That would be a Google one. Someone can Google it and message us and let us know. One thing that stood out to me in that, and I don't know why it did, is he has a massive couch but a very small coffee table. The couch takes up the entire wall, but he has this tiny little coffee table. (laughs) Depends on how big your coffee cup is, doesn't it? But it's just disproportionate to the couch that he has that literally takes up his whole wall. (laughs) The things you notice when you watch these things. Kevin Bacon's weird, though. But it means he can't play a character in the MCU because he's playing himself in the MCU. I don't know, multiverse. There was no mention of his appearance in X-Men. <laughs> they just didn't knock on that door. The Kevin Bacon of the MCU was never in an X-Men film. 
because <laughs> they don't exist. But I watched that too. I thought it was all right. Anything else that passed over your eyes? Film-wise, we went to see Avatar 2, Way of the Water. There was a lot of it. There was a good <laughs> over three hours worth of it. There was a lot of film in that film, yeah. It was very, very long. There was a lot of film. It was an even longer experience for us because I thought I'd book tickets for the Friday and I'd book tickets for the Saturday. So we turned up to the cinema to be told, oh, this is tomorrow. I was going to let you away with that. I wasn't even going to mention that, but you've just owned right up for it. <laughs> yeah, no, the listeners must hear. I made one mistake last year and that was it. <laughs> Got it in right at the end of the year, so not bad. You were doing so well then, right at the end of the year. It was worth waiting for that extra day for, even on a technology standpoint, it's just ridiculous what they've managed to do in these films. Yes, maybe it takes slightly from the previous film, but overall really enjoyed it. Maybe some characters are a little bit underserved and I wish they had a bit more to do, considering it's a three-hour film, you'd think there would be a bit more time for that, but I can sort of see why certain decisions were made. Yeah, I thought it was fine. It's not something I ever feel the desire to watch again, though, because I don't think there was enough in there to keep me hooked, other than the visual fidelity of it. Remember the first one, I really wanted to see it again because it did something that captured me. It cast this sort of spell on me as a viewer to just be drawn into this world. But I think the focus was too all over the place in this one. There was too many characters and you didn't really get a sense of any of them. So it wasn't anyone's particular journey that you were on. So it was just, here's more of this. What if they'd just made a nature documentary about Pandora? Just do that. A fake nature documentary. Yeah. I kind of get what you're saying where it hasn't quite gripped you in the same way, but I think the thing about the first one is when you went in, you were surprised by the fact that the visuals were so amazing and you were sort of immersed into that world. Whereas with this one, you're kind of going in expecting to be wowed by the visuals. So it's not going to have that same shock factor of, wow, look at what they've done here. Yeah, and the first one performs a pretty simple storytelling trick to draw you in it's a simple point of view story of someone learning more about the things around them rather than a bunch of people learning little bits about the things around them as this one was Mm. so you're taking on this development along with jake sully who's not a particularly interesting character but in terms of storytelling it's very familiar and very easy to follow and it lends itself to you learning about the people and learning about the place that they're in whereas i don't think this one was quite as focused and i think that's Part of why it's just less interesting. Yeah, it was fine. I gave it three stars. I think that's a fair review. I'd probably be more hedging towards the 3.5 to 4 mark myself. But I did really enjoy it. And it seems that it has managed to do well because it's already over the 1 billion global mark. Yeah, screenings are still sold out. Yeah, so they've managed to get over a billion in 14 days of worldwide release. So that's not bad, is it? It's what it needs to make to break even is the question. (laughs) (laughs) They've still made no money, but... One billion in tickets. Yeah. It's made a lot of money, but also no money, somehow. <laughs> Classic James Cameron. And we're getting another two of them, whether we want them or not. Yeah, I'm kind of here for another two. I'm interested in what the next way will be. We'll find out. Anything else? Everyone will be fed up of hearing from me. What have you been watching? <laughs> well, I've been watching Star Trek Prodigy, which is finished now. As a time of hearing this, as we record, there's one episode left, but I've seen it already. It's great. My favourite modern Star Trek show consistently excellent throughout the first season and the ending was up to the standard that I'd come to expect from the show. So I really can't wait for season two now. I want more of it right now. 
So that's been that. And I'll bring in a plug just now. There will be an interview with the showrunners coming on the website, either by the time you hear this or sometime after it. The Hagerman brothers who run the show in Prodigy. So I'm really looking forward to picking their brains about this show. I've not done the interview yet at the time of recording. So as of release, I had a really good time picking their brains about the show, (laughs) depending on what perspective you want to get me on. But there's that. I watched The Winchesters, which is on hiatus at the moment. It's all right. As I've said before, it doesn't lean heavily on the fact that it's a supernatural prequel, so it is building its own mythology in a lot of ways, and it isn't doing that thing that annoys me about prequels, where it's winking at you and saying, remember this thing that hasn't happened yet? Well, here's a nod to it. I hate it when things do that in clunky ways, so they're not doing that. So I'll keep watching it. I don't know if I'll make it out of season one, but it'll be back for its mid-season in January sometime. I forget when, but it's fine. And a show I randomly binged is called The Flat Share. It's a Paramount Plus thing. It's only six episodes. It stars Jessica Brown Finlay, I think her name is, and I forget who else. But they play these people that have never met, but they do this flat share situation, as in he works night shift in a hospice. And she works day shift for some kind of clickbait website. Because clickbait websites have an office, apparently, in this universe. Didn't know that, but she does. Mm. So basically what they do is they share this one-bedroom flat in London where she gets it during the day and he gets it during the night. It's sort of 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. shifts that they get. And they communicate through post-it notes. So they leave each other little notes and you see them having conversations throughout the episodes, particularly the early episodes. And it's a really interesting exploration of communication and miscommunication and how relationships build and how difficult it can be to get to know someone that you've never met and you're sort of thrust into these circumstances of living with them and having experienced that myself I found a lot of things that I could relate to within that concept I thought it was really interesting and yeah I was captivated by it I sat and watched it in a single day because I just couldn't put it down it does taper off a bit towards the end But certainly the first half of the season is really great at setting up its concept, so I would highly recommend seeking out watching it. It's really fascinating. Excellent. In terms of films, we saw Avatar, which I talked about. I also went to see Violent Night, which is the Christmas movie starring David Harbour as Santa dealing with a hostage situation. And it's excellent. It's an instant Christmas classic. Riffs on Die Hard, it riffs on Home Alone. It's really self-aware. It's great. It is just a great time at the movies or... I guess, sitting watching it yourself at home. But the audience I had were all game for it, so that enhanced it a little bit. So next year for Christmas, add it to your list. You will not be disappointed if you like those kinds of films. If you don't, then you'll hate it. (laughs) But David Harbour's a great, disgruntled, over-the-hill Santa. He just does it so well. Hopefully he'll do the rounds in cinemas again. That would be nice, maybe, for some of the retrospective stuff. I've got to say, the retrospective screenings that we went to have all been pretty busy. Yeah. So it's obviously a popular thing. So maybe they will. Yeah, you can get this thing free on Disney Plus or whatever, but pay £8 and watch it at the cinema instead. People like doing that. Mm. Cost of living crisis and people are still doing it. Interesting. And I think that's about it for me. I don't think I've been watching much else. It's that sort of time of year where lots of shows are on a pause or they've already wrapped up before now. Yeah, and I haven't really picked up anything as a rewatch either as of yet. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, no. <laughs> cool. It's just the regular. I'm on Black Diamond FM on Sunday afternoons, 12 till 2. Cool. Link is always, always in the show notes. My plugs are, I've been plodding away on We Are Starfleet, which is the way we made this network's Star Trek podcast, or one of them anyway. I was brought on to do the coverage of the second half of first season of Prodigy. So there's a lot of me talking about Prodigy over there. 
so you can hear all that. And I've already plugged it, but the interviews I have done slash will be doing with the Hageman brothers, which I'm really looking forward to slash really enjoyed. Time travel again. <laughs> but anyway, let us move on to trailers. Oh, uh, hang on. I have to take this phone call. Hello? What's your favorite scary movie? Angus, I know that's you. <laughs> yeah, okay, you've rumbled me. <laughs> you could at least get a voice changer. I know it's you. The phone call was coming from inside the house. It was coming from inside the house with my state-of-the-art security system, a.k.a. a disinterested cat. who would <laughs> do nothing when I was being stabbed to death. Trained attack cat. No, oh, he, would, he would do nothing. He'd go and hide behind the curtain while I was being stabbed to death <laughs> and then realise that his bowl of food is empty and then he'd get annoyed. He could eat you. He probably would. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a scary movie. Yeah. And I see there are two killers on this call. Hi, Natalie, on your first news appearance. Hello. I was trying and struggling to think of any quotes to do with there being two killers. Couldn't remember any of them. Because it turns out Scream came out a very long time ago. It did. But there is one coming out in not a long time from now. Scream 6, they've got a number back, which is really going to confuse people. Mm-hmm. Sequel to Scream. Sequel to Scream. But not the first one, but also the first one, because it's a far away sequel from it. But Scream 6, Lost in New York. <laughs> is it actually the... Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> As all good sequels do. Oh, Take yeah. it to New York. We've got to go to New York. Yeah, surprise it took them this long. They went to a university campus on the second one, which is about as far away as they've gone, isn't it? Uh, well, Hollywood. There was, yeah, there was Hollywood in the third one. Yeah, we were having a little chat about the previous movies. How successful it is to take the franchise away from mm-hmm. Woodsboro and that kind of small town setting. I like that you said Woodsboro as though it's how we would say Edinburgh. Edinburgh, Woodsboro. Because they would say Woodsboro. Woodsboro. <laughs> What's the proper pronunciation? Answers on a postcard. How they tell you to say it, because I get annoyed when people say Edinburgh. I get annoyed when people in America call me Craig, and that's not my oh, name. Oh, Craig. <laughs> You're old Craig. <laughs> I did think of calling you that when I pranked you with that phone call there. Oh, Craig. <laughs> Just to be super authentic. What's your favourite pronunciation? I might have fallen for it if you'd tried yeah. that. <laughs> now we'll never know. I rumbled you immediately. But yeah, Scream 6. Angus, we know from previous new stuff that you're super into the Scream franchise. Are yep. you super into it, Natalie, as well? I am indeed. I love it. But I don't love it enough that I knew that there was a new one coming <laughs> <laughs> But I do enjoy the movies. They were a staple to younger years. And I do continue to enjoy them, but they do make me feel very old. Yeah, they're getting on a bit now. They're very old movies Mm. by comparison to newer movies, I suppose. They're not that old. No, but if you think about when Halloween and stuff came out and you'd be like, wow, that came out so long ago and they're bringing out new ones, the distance we've seen between those films must be very similar to where we're at with these Scream films and their origins. And they're managing to kind of reinvent themselves as well, which Mm. is impressive because a lot of horror franchises just go down the tubes yeah I was going to mention another one that goes to New York Jason Takes Manhattan (laughs) I haven't seen it Mm -hmm. but I believe it's not held very highly in the Friday the 13th pantheon so hopefully this one bucks that trend and continues the good work that Scream slash Scream 5 put in what about Leprechauns in New York Leprechaun went to the Hood which I believe was in LA and the space also not New York (laughs) 
And Predator went to, I think it was LA as well. Oh, yeah. Predator yeah. went to the North Pole? Or was it the South Pole? It was the South Pole. Damn it. <laughs> if you turn us around. It's all a matter of perspective, yeah. yeah. And of course, you've already mentioned one of cinema's greatest monsters, Kevin McAllister. Yep. <laughs> Lost in New York. So Scream 5, you were a fan of then. I don't think we discussed it, on recorded format anyway, discussed it since the trailer. Yeah, it was one of these where it came a long time after its predecessor, which could have been a bad sign, but carried on that whole meta approach that Scream established back Mm -hmm. in the 90s. So I think it was really successful, probably even better than Scream 4. And they've all had David Arquette in them, right? Yes. I think he has been what has kept it being amazing. And now that, spoiler alert... He's no longer present, or is he? Is well, that's what's interesting about this one. It's almost like well, they can't the new generation. Could you flash back? Oh, I don't know how I feel about a new film because they took the very brave decision to kill a lot of the staple characters off. And they took the even braver decision to not pay actors what they were worth to come back. <laughs> <gasps> Did they pay them the 1993 rates? I don't know. There were just negotiations with, what's her name, that plays Sydney. Nev Campbell. That's the one. Around her pay and she was getting short changed and she said, I'm not going to be in this one. I think she's probably done enough for the franchise. Yeah. If she really loved being in it and was willing to take a pay cut, then I'm sure she'd be in it. But I don't know if there's a whole lot more she can really do. I think her character's been through several arcs worth. <laughs> yes. Progress How many this more time. cousins and nieces and stuff is she going to Well, have? yeah, it gets a bit ridiculous that she can survive five possibly six consecutive attempts on her life over a period of however many years. Yeah. She became the meme. I have to say, Courtney Cox and David Arquette, I think it became about them and I really enjoyed their character arcs. I think Courtney Cox might be in this one. <gasps> Gail Weathers is back. Yeah, I guess. In New York? Oh, She's crazy. lost in New York. She doesn't know where she is. <laughs> it makes <laughs> me wonder how much of a handover there will be to the new cast and the new generation because it feels as if that's the direction that they're taking. I feel like that would be the, the best thing for it because nostalgia is great and I always love nostalgic things whenever we're talking on the pod about those but i feel as if this franchise is just about at that tipping point of moving on well you love nostalgic things when you like them you hate them when you don't like them (laughs) exactly do either of you want to describe or talk about what actually happens in the teaser trailer well the teaser doesn't give you very much they're in new york for halloween or at halloween i don't know if they're there specifically for halloween but who's they melissa barrera's character and jenna ortega's character Names of which I can't remember. Neither can I. I am not familiar enough with it, but I will no doubt become familiar with it as I rewatch over and over as I have with the previous movies. They're on a subway and they see someone in a ghost face costume and they're a bit like, oh God, oh no, not again. And then the ghost face disappears and then presses them up against a wall or presses one of them up against a wall and that's it. Yeah, kind of hiding amongst all these other costumed people for Halloween. It could just be someone wearing a costume in poor taste a bit, or it could be another killer. Yeah, and then there's no hint of any of the old characters. So it is just that. That's all we see. But I like those two characters that I can't remember the names of. I think they did really well in the last one. But it's because they were new and it's because they were fresh and you didn't know if they were in it for the long haul or if they'd even make it out of that movie. Yeah, plus they acted really well. They did a good job. Yeah, now it feels like, is it being passed to them? 
there's now going to be five films with consecutive attempts on their life before they move on. Five! They're taking on the mantle of inexplicably surviving over and over again. No, they'll probably just keep making them until they become unprofitable and then leave it for ten years and then make another one to see if it can become profitable. That's the way that franchises work nowadays. Yeah, there's pretty big gaps between three and four and then four and five. This one has Hayden Panisier returning. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't remember her character's name either. But she was in the one where... She was in four. Four was a bit of a collection of people that were on the cusp of becoming big at the time. Well, four had... Oh, I forget her name. She was in American Horror Story. And she was in Scream Queens. What's her name? Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts. That's right. The niece of Julia. Is she not Julia Roberts' daughter? No. I think it's her niece. Okay. But they're related anyway. There's a bit of nepotism in there. Is it her niece? I'm going to double check. I don't think Julie Roberts has got any kids. Well, she does have a daughter, but on the way, or is that her mum? So anyway, they're incorporating characters from previous episodes. For what purpose, we don't know, but they'll be there. But none of that appears in this teaser. No, it's less than 70 seconds. It's a really short teaser. I think it's pretty good at just establishing that... Yeah, we're making this. And if this was all I ever saw before watching the film, I'd be okay with that. Do you think you even need this? Yeah, I think we need some form of a teaser. Just to let you know it's on the horizon. Yeah, because as we discussed in a previous podcast, audiences are pretty dumb. So unless you have a trailer that you can play at the cinema, they might not know something's coming out. Yeah, for me, all I think really is that it's interesting that the setting is in the city and that they use that riff on the alien tagline, I'm in a city of millions, no one can hear you scream. If I wasn't confident in their ability to spin some more gold out of this, then I'd be slightly worried about moving it to a different setting because just to really grasp that nostalgia, you want it to be back in Woodsboro, Woodsboro. They keep revisiting that over and over again anyway, but as I say, they handled five really well, so I have that confidence that they'll be able to pull something out of the bag here with this one. Do you think they'll satirise horror franchises moving to a larger setting with more scope. Yeah, I can see how that would work. It's kind of there. It's available to them fresh out of the box. They kind of did that before, though. As you said, and I forgot, they went to Hollywood. Yeah, and then they did the whole revisiting the original setting, plus they were able to build in the city and a few more set pieces around that. Yeah, and Scream 2 starts with a city as well, the screening of the Stap film. Yeah, that kind of takes it into a wider yeah. context. What we're saying is it's all stuff they've done before, but we'll see how they play with it this time. Yeah. Andrew made an interesting point about the Scream films before, how they're unique in the horror franchise department has, and most of them it's the killer that persists. Whereas in this, it's the image of Ghostface, but it's actually the victims that persist between films. Yeah, and always a new killer. Or killers. There's usually more than one, isn't there? Yes. There was more than one in the last Spoiler one. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I don't know anything else about it, but it seems like they're confident in making this lucrative again. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll release another trailer closer to the time and it will have a bit more in it and maybe give away a bit more. But they've done quite well, I think, in the past of not giving away too much, which can be a bit of a problem with trailers. Yeah, well, the trailer for the last one was just riffing on the famous phone call scene from the first one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. When is the full trailer being released? Don't know. At some point closer to release. Because I was reading the date and I was like, is it due in March or is it due in October because I couldn't tell if it was UK dates or British dates wrestling with that format (laughs) (laughs) it'll be the US date so it'll probably be October Gus was like oh maybe March and I was like such a weird time to release a scream film it's 10-3 so that'll be October 3rd that makes more sense I thought it was 3-10 well I don't know it was a way that I was like that's either the 3rd of October or the 10th of March and then you said March and then I was like weird 
But well, that's how you could shake up the horror movie industry. Just either way, I'll be there to watch it. It'll either be released in March or October. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> that's why Americans should always release their movies on the 20th odd of the month. Yeah. Avoid that. Or numbers higher than 12, so that you know which way around it is. That's honestly what I usually bank on. Google says March, but there's no guarantee <gasps> that they just didn't misunderstand it the way we have. Okay. Google. I didn't think they started filming all that long ago, but I suppose it doesn't take too long to turn one of these around. <laughs> yeah. Once you have your script, it's not a complicated filming process in the way that other huge films are. Yeah. If it's March, brilliant. I thought of something also when we were talking about how we were going to chat about this teaser trailer for Scream 6. I know that Gus loves this film. Well, he loves the franchise. And then I was like, have we ever covered it in a podcast? And I think the answer is no. I feel like we've just found ourselves in a series to podcast on. Is there a Scream Day? I don't know. I should know that. But I don't know, maybe there's a day that Stab, the in-franchise movie, was released. There is probably a day where Maureen Prescott was murdered or something like that, and we could build that into a recurring annual tradition. Yeah, or there's just Halloween specials that we haven't really done. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And hopefully it's a good amount of time away from Alien Day. <laughs> <laughs> well, the start of the year is really busy with stuff because we've got Star Trek Day, we've got Star Wars Day, we've got Alien Day. All happening within a month of each other. That's more of the end of first quarter, but still. You must know you've made it if you get a commemorative day as a movie franchise. Yeah, but otherwise Halloween specials, we could do them then. Because yeah. we haven't really done Halloween specials. Did we cover it at all in the shared universe chat we had? I'm not sure. As Jay and Silent Bob appear in Scream 3. You might have mentioned it. I, I feel like I did mention that. I must have mentioned that. Something for you to do. Find that out. Listen back to the Universe <laughs> podcast and find out if you brought it up. I think we need to get bougie and pay someone to be a researcher for us. Because <laughs> other podcasts <laughs> are we going to have that? researchers. And then they could listen to all that. Jay and Silent Bob also appear in an episode of The Flash. So that means The Flash is also set in the Scream Universe. There you go. <gasps> But as an actual real-life person. I guess so. Man, movies is whack. (laughs) Does that mean that Clerks doesn't exist in the Scream universe? Yes, because it took place in their universe. Ooh, crazy. Well, I suppose it does now because Clerks 3 is about the making Clerks. (laughs) Spoiler alert, I've never seen Clerks. And Gus is always like, what? How have you never seen Clerks? I've got the special box set. Just haven't ever watched it with you because I'm pretty sure the last time I was going to watch it with you and then you watched it without me. And that's what we think about the Scream 6 teaser. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else on Scream 6 or Scream in general before I hang up and get stabbed? <laughs> <laughs> Just keep your wits about you and drill Spock some more about what to do in case of emergencies. Yeah, don't give spare keys to strange people in Scream masks. Yeah. Just listen to what Richard Gere told Julia Roberts to circle back to that. Don't pick up the phone. Good advice. Thanks. I think that's generally good advice. In the modern day, we spend more time Googling who's phoning us rather than actually answering it and finding out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just or certainly I bother. do. Just ignore it. <laughs> think about how Scream would have panned out if they'd never answered the phone or they'd locked all their doors or they'd called the police. It would be called Screen instead of Scream. Well, I always wonder if in the first one, what if she got the trivia question right? Oh, well. Then there'd be no franchise. It'd be over. We wouldn't be here talking about the sixth instalment. <laughs> sixth instalment, yeah. Crazy to think about. Thanks, guys, for phoning in to discuss the Scream 6 teaser because mm-hmm. Chris is very passionate about the fact that he cares not for horror. What? 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, someone's got to watch them. Someone does. Yes, and we will. We love them. Yes, we will. Thank you very much. I'll leave you to get on with threatening other people, if that's what you're doing. No, that's not a sign-off. Yep, next name in the phone book. Those still exist, right? (laughs) (laughs) Don't know how I appeared first, but okay. It's a very small phone book. (laughs) Don't know that many people. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be pretty easy to track it back to you because there'll be this very small pool of people. Does 141 still work? I have no idea. That's something for you to do. Find that out. Did you never use 141? I think it was 1471. No, 1471 was to find out who had called you. 141 was to block your number. 141 was to yeah block your number if you were calling someone else. And 1471 was to hear who last called you. Mm. So you could let the Billy phone ring Loomis. out. You could let the phone ring out and then be like, 555-5555. Why is he calling It only me? worked if they weren't ex-directory, though. Yeah. It's a very UK-centric thing. Yeah. Was it Star 69 in the US? To oh, track maybe. Where it, it used to be? How Why do I know that? don't know. Movies. Movies. Watched a lot of American <laughs> TV, I guess. Yeah. What's um, your favourite movie featuring a phone call? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a weird list. A lot of films. That's if you write for BuzzFeed and you're really struggling. I'm genuinely going to have to look up if One for One still works, because that was magical back in the day. <laughs> magical for all of Natalie's crank calls. Yeah, you could call up anyone and then be like, haha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fun you had. Was that when it was too cold or rainy outside to play Chapdoor Run? Oh, well, actually, it was mostly, it was to speak to boys that me and my friends fancied and we would just phone them, but we wouldn't want them to know our number. <laughs> That's what 13-year-old girls do. In the 90s. Oh, I wasn't there. Oh, wait. <laughs> Oh, I was 13 in the technical 90s. (laughs) But I'll have you all know, barely. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, on that note, thank you for phoning in. You can move to your next victim now. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See you next time. That was Angus and Natalie. They were just trying to kill me, and they might be phoning you to try and kill you next, just as a warning. I always look forward to chatting to those two. Even if they're trying to stab you. Oh, yeah. It's always the way the conversation opens, but then we end up just having a nice catch-up. You end up not getting stabbed. But there's always the risk. <laughs> Let's talk about our first trailer that you're able to talk about. Cocaine Bear. We got a trailer for this. We talked about it as a news item several months ago, how they were making this film based on this true story of this bear that got coked up and went on a rampage and now we have a trailer for it i think it looks hilarious it's this proper tongue-in-cheek horror vibe where people are constantly referencing how high the bear is on the cocaine that fell out of this plane or was thrown out of this plane and i have to say i'm really looking forward to seeing this i wasn't sure when i was watching it i was like if they just put all the funny lines into the trailer and then that was actually it's just going to be ridiculous amounts of gore as this bear tears through people for the rest of the film it's like the toned-down version that we can show audiences before a screening. I'm a little bit worried that maybe the funniest bits are in the trailer. It doesn't look 100% like it's up the street for me. <laughs> I recognise a lot of the cast that are in there from being backing actors isn't the right word, but sort of supporting cast elsewhere. There seems to be a lot of people in there that I'm like, I'm sure I've seen them somewhere before. And then you go on IMDb and you're oh, they were in an episode of that TV show or this TV show. Looks fun. It does look fun. And I do have the same concern about all the highlights being in the trailer. And I wonder if the novelty of the concept is 
what they're carrying it on, like some of these things, and then you actually watch it and you think, oh, there's just nothing here. There's really nothing here beyond the title. But it looks like they put some effort in, based on the trailer at least. Mm. So yeah, that'll be out, and I will probably see it, and then I'll be able to say whether it was any good or not. But yeah, promising start. Good fun trailer there. Our next trailer is Megan, or Mithrigan, as the titling goes. Uh, it's just another trailer. I can't remember if it was you that talked about the trailer previously, or the first trailer, that is, on a previous news pod. But this proper horror vibe, really good uncanny valley design for the doll. And my guess is the twist is that the doll works as designed and it's the little girl that's evil. That's where I'm going. Yes. You create AI and you give control of it to a little girl and give it very vague instructions about what it needs to do to achieve its goal. What could possibly go wrong with that? (laughs) There has never been a film before where AI has been created and run amok. But yeah, very creepy. Again, I don't think this is particularly made for me, but (laughs) sure, it looks well put together at least. The Chucky vibe or... Mm. whatever else crazy murderous dolls is a sub-genre all in itself (laughs) and this is another one there's a lot of those yeah but my guess is that there'll be nothing wrong with the doll there'll be everything wrong with the little girl with these ai things it's normally that they've given them an instruction and then it automatically goes for the nuclear option in order to solve it yeah robot your challenge is to create world peace and then it goes (laughs) well if i kill all humans there'll be world peace so off it goes to kill all humans stop me from being bullied well, if I kill the bullies, that'll yeah, solve that yeah. problem. <laughs> exactly, that'll solve this. <laughs> I don't want to be in pain anymore. Sure, I can solve that for you. It's no Baymax, is it? It's not quite. Baymax is a nice robot. All right, okay, nothing more on that one then. That's pretty simple. Let's move on to Mission Impossible. It's not really a trailer, but we've got a nine-minute-ish featurette on the biggest stunt possibly in Hollywood history. And just watching this, I just couldn't help but laugh constantly. Tom Cruise is utterly insane. Them talking about him doing 30 jumps a day, which equates to over 500 skydives over a short Mm. period of time. He's just jumping out of helicopters all day for days at a time. Insane. What a nutcase. The video is basically them building up towards doing the stunt where he drives off a cliff in his motorbike. Yeah. (laughs) And then deploys a parachute and sits down. But you see them doing a fake rig with boxes below and then them assembling it where they've got to take all the parts up this mountain in a helicopter in order for them to build the rigging to then do this stunt, which he then did, was it six times, I think it says in the video? He did it six times over. So it wasn't one and done, he did it six times. (laughs) And it was the first day of shooting for the film that they did this. You just sit and go, what? The bit that worries me is at the end, and I think it's Macquarie turns to the camera and goes, oh, if you think this is fair, you should see what we're doing in the next film. (laughs) What? (laughs) What are you doing in the next film? The amount of effort. I think that was one of the things that highlighted for me was the amount of effort to go in to create something which will be, what, maybe a five-minute sequence in this film? If that. If I'm being generous, if that, this stunt, it's going to look amazing. We've already seen some of it in the trailer, obviously. But you sort of think the amount of effort to get this five minutes of footage, you go, would a CG Tom Cruise doing the same thing (laughs) achieve the same? I think it's amazing. And one of the things that kind of peeves me a little bit is the fact that there doesn't seem to be the same recognition awards-wise for stunts like this. 
when you see the amount of work that's went into that shot that five minute section if that kind of think there should be more recognition for this the amount of people that are working on it the amount of effort that goes into create this thing rather than just do the yeah we did it with cg i wonder if there's enough big stunts in a year to have a category for it though because it seems like there are very few productions that are actually doing this now tom cruise yeah. is always going to champion let's really fly planes or let's really jump off this thing but There'll be a lot of productions where they're like, yeah, we'll just augment it with CG or just do it in CG completely. Well, that's why I think they should be called out when they do, because I think there'll yeah. be certain ones where folk just assume, oh, they've done it with CG and completely invalidate someone's month's worth of effort going, oh, yeah, they just CG'd it, didn't they? I'd love to see more of these things getting called out, definitely. They should get a lot more recognition than they do, the amount of people that have worked on that. It is incredible, and I highly recommend if there's one of the things that you watch from the show notes. I would pick that one. And I know it's not 100% a trailer, but watch it if you're interested in the background of movie making and whatnot. I'm now desperate to see that film, so it's achieved its goal. Well, I'm just wondering how they're going to explain why there's a big ramp at the top of a mountain in the context of the film. <laughs> so that Tom Cruise can jump off it, of course. That's why it's there. Yeah, so him doing the stunt six times. It was funny after he did it the first time and he radioed in and he was like, yeah, I think I can stay on the bike a little bit longer. What are you doing? <laughs> He's just this fearless idiot, is Tom Cruise. He just has no concept of survival, does he? It was funny seeing the base jumping coach and whatever just standing around saying, yeah, we're a little bit worried about this. We don't know if this is going to fly because we've never done this before. So it could end horribly for everybody. Oh yeah, good old-fashioned fear. I'm just thinking of the poor guys that were having to go along afterwards and try and find all the motorcycles that they threw into that ravine. <laughs> all these destroyed motorcycles. All these destroyed yeah. motorcycles they've got to recover. And then there was that video that Tom Cruise did where he was thanking everybody for making Top Gun the top film of the year, where he was sitting outside a helicopter, and during the video where he was thanking everybody, he just jumps off casually and does the skydive. How does she do? He's insane. But that's why we love what he does, because you know you're getting that authenticity. That's how I'm expecting you to do the trailer for this podcast. Yeah, that will be happening. <laughs> I am deathly afraid of heights, so I'm not the next Tom Cruise. Okay, let's move on to an actual trailer. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, James Gunn's swan song in the Guardians franchise and probably in the Marvel Universe forever. He'll never be back to there because he's over somewhere else, at least until they kick him out, which may happen. We'll talk about it later. This one... It, Struck me that it looks far more serious than the other two, but I think that's probably the way that they presented in the trailer. The final film will, will probably still have the same amount of jokes and quips and everything that we've come to expect from A, Marvel films and B, Guardians films. I think Rocket's probably going to die in this one. I'm getting that vibe. Yeah, I'm with you on the seriousness of this one. It's got a couple of gags sitting in there, but not that many. Also, not as many musical drops during the trailer either, actually. No, there's a song that plays through it. Yeah, there is, but there's not as many comedy beat or more up-tempo stuff that they normally throw into a Guardians trailer. I'm with you, there's definitely a lot of Rocket in there, so it seems to be hinting that something's going to happen to Rocket. But I don't know if that's maybe a fake out from the trailer because a lot of the times when the trailer is made that way, it's to actually make you think, oh yeah, it's Rocket that's at threat and then turns out it's someone else. I'm looking forward to getting a little bit of Rocket's backstory out of there. Rocket was one of the interesting characters in the Guardians of the Galaxy game that came out last year. 
year before. He was one of the good characters in the last Guardians game, so looking forward to getting a little bit more of Rocket's backstory out of this. You get to see a little bit of Adam Warlock in it, you get to see a little bit of the High Evolutionary in it. I think it's a good trailer. It doesn't seem to have the same comedy tones. I'm hoping that's there because that's kind of why I love the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff is it's a bit of fun in amongst everything else. They can do the serious moments but love the comedy beats, love the needle drop moment. Yeah, I don't think those will go away but maybe this will skew a bit more serious. The High Evolutionary is an interesting character having there. It looks like he's made a planet of talking animals or there is a planet of talking animals and Drax is really mean to them. He throws a ball in their face or something like that. To be fair, if you landed in the middle of a housing estate in a big ship and just planted it in the middle of the road in people's gardens, turned up out the blue, I imagine you'd get a slightly hostile response. Yeah, but it was the Drax who was the hostile one. <laughs> he was the more hostile. <laughs> well, yeah, he threw the ball at the kid, didn't he? Gamora's there as well. She's looking at a picture. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what goes on with that, because that's Gamora without knowing the events of the previous two films. Yeah. This will be the last Guardians film with this collection of characters. That's not to say that all or some of them won't come back at some later point in something else. And I could see Marvel doing an offshoot Guardians of the Galaxy movie series with completely different characters. That's almost what they were hinting at at the end of the second one with Stallone's crew. It makes sense. And then they could still tie in some of the original cast as a drop-in sort of thing to try and keep the thread running through it. Yeah, I think it probably has run its course a little bit, and especially considering that James Gunn's been stewarding the Guardians, it seems right to rotate a bit of everything out if James Gunn is going, yeah. and key cast are wanting to go off and do different things, then sort of makes sense, and it's canon, isn't it? It's a team of individuals, so it's not always that line-up in the comics either. Yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy can just be any configuration of outer space adventurers. Mm-hmm. A bit like the Avengers. The Avengers can be any configuration of heroes just doing stuff. Yeah, exactly. You can pull different ones in and out as you wish. I don't think they'll run back very quickly to Guardians of the Galaxy after this. Probably not, no. I don't think there'll be a spot in the immediate slate, but I would doubt that they would just ignore them after this. We'll see. But it looks good. We'll obviously see it. Mm. That's the thing. Whether a Marvel film looks good or not, we're there. It's just <laughs> the way it is. <laughs> It's the order of things. Yeah, they've suckered me in. Damn it. Yeah, that's it. You're invested now. You have to see everything. I must consume it all. Consume it all. Which is getting harder and harder because of just how much of it there is. Mm. Okay, let's move on to Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Trailer for this, finally. Giant robot ape and things like that. I'm not sure if Bumblebee, the film, is canon to this movie or not. I don't know how much of a difference it'll make. It looks fine. There's no real sense of the plot. There's a big threat that no one has ever seen before, but they don't really say what it is. It's just that there is one. And I'm not quite sure on the viability of disguising giant robots as giant animals, because that's not quite a way to blend in, is it? You're going to stand out. (laughs) It seems to be a slight flaw in the whole plan. 50-foot gorilla gonna stand yeah. out yeah you're gonna stick out a little bit like a sore thumb aren't you and you said i don't know if bumblebee is canon to this i don't know what is canon to this at all i have lost track of what the transformers franchise is and how it works well the michael bay films are gone now whatever this is has nothing to do with them cool they've rebooted it definitely it's just whether the last reboot is connected to this one or not we don't know <laughs> i really enjoy bumblebee that was a surprise to me because they simplified the story down, they made it more about the relationship with the characters and stuff, and that worked for me. This looks like it's kind of going back to the more traditional, there are lots of things going bang and exploding, 
and everything else that's going along around that is probably not very interesting. So we'll see. But yeah, it looks cool. There's some cool effect shots in there. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm seeing that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it's probably one of those ones, again, that rewards you for going and seeing it on a big massive screen with ridiculous sound so that every explosion thumps your insides. Yeah, we've already seen it, but it will be interesting to see a take on Transformers that isn't Michael Bay. Because Bumblebee was a much smaller story, as you said. That was a separate thing. And it wasn't as successful as they wanted it to be, which is why they didn't immediately continue with what Bumblebee had established. You could probably just link this to Bumblebee and we'd be fine. I don't think that it steps on any toes that way. No, I don't imagine if you're setting it further forward in time and can establish other bits through there, but I kind of like the scaled-back storytelling in Bumblebee and this just doesn't seem that it's got that. It seems it's more back to the end of the world galaxy altering states sort of thing. But it still might be more simple than what the Michael Bay era Transformers movies became. Hmm. In terms of an earthbound threat or what have you, it might just be less insane and less confusing because it's so insane. (laughs) No planets appearing in the sky and things like that. It's some kind of earthbound threat that they have to deal with. Oh, (laughs) we want exploding planets in the sky. We want random appearances of things. We want a MacGuffin that was sent to Earth decades ago and is buried somewhere. And then the next film is another MacGuffin they didn't know about in the previous film. Yeah, it was a MacGuffin. It was on the other side of the planet from the MacGuffin that we had before. (laughs) There's no continuity. No one cares. No one's watching this for any reason. More of the MacGuffins, please. Add more MacGuffins. (laughs) Let's move on to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Fun fact about this and the Guardians 3 trailer, they appeared a couple of days before I published the last news podcast. So thanks, Disney. Your timing, as always, is not to my liking. But never mind. The trailers did technically release in December, so our November news wasn't tarnished by it. But there we go. Anyway, this looks good. I think it looks about the same trailer-wise as Kingdom of the Crystal Skull did. I'm one of those people that quite liked Crystal Skull. And I don't care who wants to fight me about that. I liked it. Thought it was fine. This seems to be a story about Indiana Jones and what his life has amounted to and where he's come from and where he is now and stuff like that. We have scenes of him being de-aged. The de-aging looks really good. Harrison Ford was right. It's the best we've seen, probably. Yeah, I would hold that comment until we see the full thing. But yeah, the shots that they've shown in the trailers look reasonable. Not done too bad with it. I'm kind of with you. I thought Crystal Skull was okay. If I was going to put on an Indiana Jones film, I wouldn't go for that as the default. But it was okay. It's better than Temple of Doom. This one looks like it's going to try and hit the nostalgia beats again, which you've got to do with these things. It seems like another attempt, maybe, to set up some other characters that can carry on the story, potentially. Shia LaBeouf didn't work. Let's try these people. Yeah, we're going to give it another spin and see what we can do. They're hitting a few little nostalgia bits in there. There seems to be some fun about it, which is the whole point, I would say. I did like the voiceover line of, I've seen many strange things, but I don't believe in magic or anything like that. And you're (laughs) like, I've seen these films. You must believe in some of this stuff by now, my friend. You encountered an invisible bridge that you could walk on. (laughs) Yeah, you've walked on an invisible bridge. You've seen people getting taken out by the Ark of the Covenant. You've witnessed aliens taking off. I think you believe in strange things now. (laughs) 
it's either that or he's always putting it down to just being on his medication or something. We don't know. So let's go with that. But it looks fun. You've got lots of different characters that seem to be popping up in this. You've got Toby Jones. I like Toby Jones when he turns up. You've got Phoebe Waller-Bridge in there. Antonio Banderas. So there's plenty of people floating about. So yeah, I'm up for this. I'm also interested just for seeing Glasgow pretending to be an American city again. <laughs> I like that every once in a while just Glasgow appears as an American city. Glasgow being 1960s New York. Yeah, as it would be. (laughs) (laughs) Harrison Ford still got it. I was thinking that, and I think people thought this the last time as well, that Shia LaBeouf would do all the young stuff and Harrison Ford would just be along for the ride. But in Crystal Skull, he did a lot of stuff and it looks like he's doing a lot of stuff here. He's just this crazy old man who won't stop. I don't know how much of the stunt stuff he'll be doing and I wonder if in the de-aging stuff they've just plastered his face on a younger person's body because with every de-aging example I've seen, For example, in Captain Marvel, Samuel L. Jackson looks like a young man, but he doesn't move like one. And that's always the thing that gives it away. Or it's one of the things that gives it away. Other than the slightly plasticky appearance that you sometimes get. Mm. But it's the movement, isn't it? Because someone in their 60s, as Samuel L. Jackson was, or 70s, or however old he is, doesn't move like someone in his 30s, or however old he was supposed to be. And Harrison Ford will certainly not move like the age he was in those scenes that we'll be seeing. Mm. But he's doing lots of stuff. He's riding a horse. There's that really badly green-screened shot of him on the horse in the middle of a city or something (laughs) that people seem to be tearing apart. And it's one of those things, you only notice it because people have pointed it out. When I was watching the trailer, I didn't think, oh, that looks bad. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that nowadays, because you can freeze-frame individual frames and play everything in slow motion (laughs) from a trailer, folk just spend hours picking through going, oh, look at this bit here, oh, you can see this. It's like, oh, come on. You see lots of tweets where people say, I hope this isn't the final render. Shut up. <laughs> it probably isn't. As we've seen with other stuff, it might not even be in the final film. <laughs> Any of the shots there may be cut from the final film. Yeah, maybe. But looks good. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. It'd be interesting to see someone else taking on Indiana Jones, because this is the first one without Spielberg directing. Mm. James Mangold this time, so will his take be different, or is he just going to try and copy Spielberg? The cinematography looks a bit Spielberg-esque. It looks like a Spielberg film. I imagine, though, of trying to keep some of the tones to make it seem similar. I don't think you'll go full difference until you end up replacing Harrison Ford and things like that. Then they can try and do a different spin. They've still got Spielberg and Lucas as executive producers on this. Yeah, but there's always questions about how much work they actually do when they've got those Mm. kind of credits. Yeah. Just your name's on this because it has to be. You don't have to do anything. Yeah, you're going to get paid for this. That's the job I want. I want my name to just be on things and I get paid and I don't have to do anything. That'd be great. Imagine that. (laughs) Yeah, I'll executive produce this as long as I don't have to look at anything. Yeah, Harrison Ford, he's still got it. He's going to keep doing it until he, I guess, kills himself on set. Him and Tom Cruise will be in a film together and they'll both die doing a stunt. That'll be what will happen. Oh, no. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, I'm not having that. They'll both be in space. And they'll die. You're going to send them both to space? Yeah. It's up to them. They want to do it, don't they? I don't know. I don't imagine if you asked Harrison Ford if he wanted to go to space, he would say yes. I think if you ask him to do anything, he doesn't want to do it. (laughs) His default reaction is, no, I hate this and hate everything about it. Well, I think he likes Indiana Jones. It's Star Wars he doesn't like. It seems that he has fun with Indiana Jones, and that's why I'm glad that he's back for this, because he's one of those ones where I tie him so tightly to the character. I don't know if I would have the same connection to an Indiana Jones film that didn't have Harrison Ford in it. Yeah, I think it'll happen eventually, though, because it's Disney now. Oh, it will. I'm just not sure I'm going to accept it when it happens. (laughs) (laughs) I will see. But yeah, looking forward to this. It's already an exciting year for movies in Mm -hmm. 2023. 
lots of big franchise stuff that we can sink our teeth into. Let's move on to an interesting film, 65, which I had in my notes because I forgot what the title is, which is ridiculous because it's just a number. Kylo Ren versus Dinosaurs was the first note that I put to remind myself to look it up. It looks kind of like Planet of the Apes, but with dinosaurs, as in pilot crashes on planet, and then, well, it's dinosaurs. I'm not quite sure if Adam Driver's playing an alien who looks human or a human from the future. It's unclear, but he's stuck on Earth 65 million years ago, and there's dinosaurs everywhere, and he has to fight dinosaurs. That sounds interesting. There's dinosaurs, and there's unexpected asteroids, and time travel slash not time travel slash distant travellers who arrive on Earth accidentally from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) I basically wrote the same note as you, which is sci-fi future guy v. Dinosaurs. (laughs) I don't know what to make of this film whatsoever. It's got me intrigued. Not necessarily in a good way. It's got me intrigued. (laughs) Well, we have the effects left over from the Jurassic franchise, and we've got this stuff that's left over from sci-fi franchises. So if we merge the two (laughs) sets together, we could create this film where it's someone surviving Jurassic Park, but with sci-fi technology on his side. (laughs) It's very weird. And I don't know if the whole thing is meant to be your Adam and Eve story kind of thing this is how life began on earth or something it seems very odd to me it's interesting the fact that adam driver's in it there's probably something in there because he doesn't seem to just be one of these people that goes for random scripts so thinking there might be a bit more to it than we're seeing in the trailer do you think he'll end up wiping out the dinosaurs at the end he'll pull an asteroid down with a tractor beam or something and then kill them all get the line at the beginning where he says that they've been knocked off course by an asteroid or they've hit an unexpected asteroid and that's how they've ended up i'm not too sure (laughs) space bus driver then fights dinosaurs it's an interesting idea could be a lot of fun or it might just be that the premise is the most interesting thing about it and what you actually watch is garbage yeah it's going to be very vindictive dinosaurs that are particularly going for this one guy that's going to be the thing it's going to be why are they attacking that guy not any of this other prey that's out there oh just because reasons everywhere he goes everything wants him dead that's basically what it's going to be yeah this planet is here to kill you yeah the interesting thing though is or one of the interesting things is the trailer builds up to the reveal of the dinosaur so i wonder if it's one of those things that if you've seen the trailer that spoils the build up to the reveal in the film itself because it's got a vague title, it's 65, and the poster doesn't have a dinosaur on it, I don't think. So yeah. it'd be one of those things, you just go and see this film on a punt, and then, oh my god, there's dinosaurs in this. But then, from a marketing point of view, this film called 65, it's Adam Driver in the jungle on the poster, why would you want to see this? I kind of think the same as you, actually. It's an interesting point that maybe when they were originally cutting this trailer, maybe they did make it a bit more mysterious what was chasing him in the jungle. Yeah. Or in the forest. You have the bit of sci-fi ship crashes on a planet, could be any planet, and something is pursuing them. And the twist, or the more interesting twist, would have been, it's dinosaurs, it's Earth in the past. That maybe would have been a more interesting way of doing it, and you would have got maybe a bit more surprises, but maybe they're thinking that the draw of, and there's dinosaurs, will be enough to get people over the line and into the screen. It's also this era of marketing and filmmaking and things like that where it's just impossible to be surprised in that way going into something or certainly is for people like us that are perennially online and talking about this stuff Mm. so it feels like even if you didn't see the trailer you stumble onto the fact that oh yeah this is about adam driver fighting dinosaurs let's go see that 
But then yeah. if the first half of the film builds up to the reveal of dinosaurs or the first half hour of the film or however long it is builds up to this reveal of dinosaurs. And if you already know it, the reveal kind of loses its power a little bit. Because it'd be great if you just knew nothing about this going in. You walk in and a T-Rex shows up at the half an hour mark. Oh my God, I didn't expect that. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. There's certain aspects of this where it is spoilt for you with trailers. The thing is, even if you're trying to avoid spoilers on the internet or trailers on the internet, when you go and see a film, you're going to catch the trailers before the main picture. So you're going to have that spoilt for you either way. Because I don't think you could quite blank it out in the cinema, even if you tried. Yeah, it's more difficult than you might think. You can try and sit and play Tetris on your phone or something like that, but Hmm. you'll absorb some of it by osmosis, inevitably. Yeah, and also any conversations that you have with people. Are you going to see that Adam Driver film with the dinosaurs? And you'd be like, oh, it's got dinosaurs in it. All right, I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know that, so thanks. Oh, yeah, and it's on an air from the past. Oh, right, okay. That's not a surprise reveal either. The only other way that you can look at it is if they're revealing all of this in the trailer, what might the actual twist be if there is one? It might be that actually this is very front-loaded and then there's something more interesting that's going to happen further on. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? We'll find out. We'll definitely find out. It's out in March. It was originally the 10th of March, but it got pushed back to the 17th. So if you'd already planned your year around going to see this on the 10th of March, then sorry to bring the bad news to you. Well, I've waited 65 million years. I might as well wait another few days. Yeah, you've waited this long, you can wait another week. (laughs) You only heard about this film today, really. So you'll be fine. Their next trailer we've got is Gen V, which is the boys' spin-off, which I think is Superhero High School or something like that. It looks debaucherous and all those things that you would expect from the boys. My biggest concern is that it won't have the morality that characters like Annie bring to the boys. It might just be everybody's a horrible person, and I will struggle with that. Yeah, the last season of the boys, for me, kind of went a bit too far it seems that they're trying to outdo themselves each season and it's not necessarily helping the characters or the plot of the story it's just we just need to do something even more outrageous and this seems like a version of that i think you probably will still have the moral compass characters thrown in there which is going to be a younger version of the same show which is why i'm sort of struggling to see how this fits in the article that i was reading suggested that it's set concurrently with the fourth season so it's meant to sort of tie in with that the thing that grabbed me from the trailer apart from all the gore and everything else that was going on maybe i've been drinking over the christmas season but is there a muppet in there yeah there is yeah there's kind of puppet thing yeah (laughs) i'm confused i may watch the show simply for that it might be that there is nothing else needed to hook me in then there's a puppet in this i wonder what is going on (laughs) yeah the trailer doesn't give you a lot to go on it's just more the boys debauchery and gore yeah there's people exploding getting cut up getting punched explosions and things and you're like oh okay i guess i take it there will be more to it but like i said the last season of the boys didn't really hook me as much as the other two so this looking like it's almost identical kind of makes me go okay maybe not maybe this isn't going to be for me either yeah we'll find out it'll be without the trappings of the characters we know and in theory like so that's a challenge in itself yeah I don't think there's any character that was set up in the recent season to spin off to the show. Sometimes they do that. They'll have a character in one show designed yeah. to go over at the spin off and they'll be like, I'll see you. I'm going to run this school or whatever. Yeah, I'm imagining there will be some form of crossovery thing in there. Yeah. I'd be surprised if there isn't any, but it might not be every episode. No. And you wouldn't want it every episode. No. Don't know. You would almost expect 
one familiar character to migrate over to deal with this, but doesn't seem like that's happening. But yeah, that's happening. Short trailer. That sounds like the TARDIS is coming, as it will be materialising momentarily to talk about more Doctor Who stuff. So if you want to run away so that you don't have to see him, I'll talk to Isaac about Doctor Who. Yeah, I'm just going to run and hide. Yeah, it's good plan. Just hide behind the TARDIS, you know, Good plan. Isaac, I don't believe in destiny, but if I did, I would say it's your destiny to constantly appear on a news podcast to talk about Doctor Who. If this is going to distract me every month, because this is like a new bit of info we need to talk about, I guess it's what T. Davis's second year is going to be. It's going to be just drip-fed bits. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the opposite effect to what Chibnall was doing. We'll be two weeks away from something airing and knowing nothing about it. And then with Russell T. Davies, we're just going to be sick of it by the time it comes out. Exactly. <laughs> It's different, and we'll see if it's any better. So we were treated to a surprise trailer on Christmas Day. I think there was a lot of scuttlebutt around the tease of it on Christmas Eve where people were saying, oh, do you think they'll give us a whole episode on Christmas Day? And I was just thinking, God, I really hope not. That's too much. Yeah, I know people are always excited for more Doctor Who, but that wouldn't be the best gamble to just surprise release a whole special. I don't think the people in it would be too happy. You're just watching Strictly... And then, oh good, there's more Doctor Who to play. You flip over from Father Ted and you're like, oh, a Doctor Who started half an hour ago. (laughs) (laughs) But we got this trailer. I suppose before we get to that, we should just talk about the costume reveal. They showed a picture of Shruti Gatwa and Millie Gibson in costume. There's not much to say about Millie's Ruby Tuesday, Ruby Sunday Ruby Sunday, yes. Ruby Sunday costume. She just looks like a teenage girl. Standard human teenage girl. But the Doctor has a quite an understated, yet wacky costume. Yeah, it reminds me of the first Peter Capaldi costume. The white buttoned-up shirt and the black sort of suit thing. Yeah, I hope it evolves, because in its current form it's okay, but it's not particularly amazing. Checkered is going to be the theme of Rusty Davis era 2. He's the third person we see to have checkered gear. So he's got like a sort of brown checkered... I always call them detective coats because he had the belt. I don't know what they're really called. But he has those belts around the edge with the same trousers. A sort of orange cashmere jumper. And trousers that match the jacket. Yeah, and matching trousers. Apparently also he had a picture on Instagram where he's clapping a clipboard or something and he has painted nails. He's got rings and painted nails on, so I think whether or not that's out of filming or if that's going to be part of his costume, it's yet to be seen. But it's probably, if he's in costume, there's a high chance that there's black painted nails. Might be something, might not be something. It reminds me of the Christopher Eccleston costume in concept, because that was quite understated yeah it's not everyday human costume but also not particularly stand out yeah which is the way to go for a soft reboot you're easing a new audience into the concept in a lot of ways yeah i do like a bit of wackiness though i think also because there's a lot of warm colors here it's all browns and oranges if it goes forward and adds a bit i wouldn't mind a bit of blue or purple to contrast against everything but I guess we'll have to see. I just have the TARDIS to contrast against him, I guess. Yeah, well, all modern Doctors have had variable looks. David Tennant was the only one that was really fully consistent. I suppose Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, I think Jodie Whittaker's probably the most... Because con- David Tennant, he only had like a brown suit or a blue suit. And then his formal wear for when he was at parties. Oh yeah, KGI tuxedo for Christmas specials. 
Yeah. That's when Peter Capaldi were a bit more fashionable. I'm kind of hoping that this is a base layer to things. It's fine, but it's nothing fantastic. Yeah. So that's it for the costume. Let's talk about the trailer. It shows some stuff, most of it which went over my head, although the stuff I did pick up on was... The fact that Russell T. Davies essentially seems to be picking up exactly where he left off and ignoring everything that happened since, because he ended his run with Donna and her family, and now he's just gone right back to it, as if nothing ever happened. Interestingly enough, the reason this came about is through lockdown Zoom chats. I'm trying to find where the story is. Apparently it's in Doctor Magazine, but I don't buy it, so I don't have it with me. But apparently there was a Zoom chat between David Tennant, Catherine Tate, and... Rusty Davis. I think it was during one of the they did Twitter rewatches of Doctor Who episodes during lockdown, and they were kind of reminiscing on, "Oh, that was really fun. We quite liked being in Doctor Who." And that was sort of balled over to, "Can we do another one?" And I think he was like, "Well, I guess I can fit something in." And I think they both knew that the anniversary special was coming up and that he was taking over. So, but yeah, we are currently right back in. It's two thousand nine again. <laughs> yeah, we have. Donna again with Captain Tate. We have Donna's mum, Sylvia. I can't remember if it's Sylvia or Sylvia. I think it's Sylvia. We both could be wrong, though. Both could be wrong. Donna's mum is back. We have Sean Temple, Donna's husband. And we have Rose, Yasmin Finney's Rose, who looks like she's part of the family. I guess she may be Donna's daughter. Maybe. I suppose it's been long enough. Because there's a clip towards the end where, we'll get into a bit later, but they're addressing the 14th Doctor, David Tennant's Doctor, and the, having a bit of a joke around. And she seems to be part of the family. And it would make sense, I guess, that Rose is part of the Temple Nobles. Hmm. One thing that stood out is they don't look like they're millionaires. They don't look like they're millionaires. Though I suppose this is set in 2023. That gives them 14 years to put all their money in that collapsed Bitcoin from a few weeks ago. <laughs> just stood out to me because that was certainly the suggested happy ending that the doctor created for them wasn't it getting their father to buy them a lottery ticket yeah or donna's father to buy them a lottery ticket maybe they will be millionaires and they've just chosen to continue living on this council estate maybe they will i'd quite like it if at the end of the episode they don't know what to do and they're like oh why don't we take our super jet that we have (laughs) it just parked outside (laughs) and we spend it all on this jet imagery wise it's very reminiscent of what russell t davies was focusing on it's set on council estates and things like that it's those kind of working class settings yeah that was his grand design for dot two when he brought it back to sort of root it in everyday life and that seems to be continuing on at least for this initial run and maybe into his next series is but present day london what we came to expect from rusty davis's first run and donna's important again things are after her there's a risk of her remembering the doctor once again it might kill her again i think it'll end with her remembering everything and somehow accepting it and staying behind yeah it will probably end with her remembering who the doctor is but it's fine i guess we'll figure it out yeah because he's not the same doctor anymore or whatever there's also a hint that david tennant's doctor is a bit uncertain about who he is now he has that line where he says i don't know who i am anymore yeah that could be something i mean there's a lot leaning on the villains i know there was a bit of trouble recently where the costume changed with the regeneration and that caused a bit of upset and now with this and with the potential a still unconfirmed neil patrick character's character i'm personally think that none of this is a coincidence <laughs> there's definitely a reason that 
we have the return of David Tennant, Donov, and the costume and everything. So segue in, we have a bit more of Neil Patrick Harris doing an accent. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what. He's camping it up. He's camping it up. He has at least two or three different looks. From what we can tell, he has a sort of evening wear look. He has his sort of, what's the guy who made Pinocchio? Geppetto? Geppetto, yeah. A sort of Geppetto look in his... I don't know, it's a shop. It's baked anyway. And he appears to have maybe some sort of musical number. He's surrounded by rose petals and he's wearing <laughs> a sort of whitish suit. Though it's not confirmed, and we've discussed before, it's looking quite likely that he is an old character called the Toymaker. The Toymaker is a race. They were in Old Dot 2 more, and they're in one Jodie Whittaker story called the Celestials. They are an immortal race who are very, very bored because they're immortal and they don't have much to do. So they tend to cause havoc for entertainment purposes. It's in Can You Hear Me? The Jodie Worker story where we have Zelin and his partner. I think that's the only time they've shown up in New Who. They're eternal. They're immortal. They'll exist forever and they are deeply, deeply bored. And I think that's what the toy maker, if it is a toy maker, I think he's picking the Doctor's face and the Doctor's costume and he's bringing everything back. I don't know why he would be. But to paraphrase what they say in the trailer, if there is such of a destiny, it's all heading to Donna Noble. Yeah, with something to do with Donna. So maybe information in her head is stuff they think they want for some reason. And forcing the Doctor to look like David Tennant again is one way to do that. Yeah, essentially weaponizing the Doctor against her by forcing them to bring back Donna's memories for reasons undiscovered. But that's not the only villain we see. We also get some buggy dudes and a fluffy dude uh, has been confirmed now by rusty davis's instagram this is a incredibly niche cut the fluffy guy usually you get some niche characters this is an episode from 1981 or this is a one-time story these characters are from marvel presents doctor who magazine comics 1979 <laughs> oh <God. laughs> it doesn't as far aware exist anywhere other than if you existed in 1979. The fluffy guy is Beep the Meep. <laughs> I don't know these guys. So I'm currently on TARDIS Wiki reading about them. Beep the Meep is essentially a just awful sadist, apparently. Enjoying inflicting pain on others for no real purpose. Uses the cuteness to manipulate and get people to pity them for their own purpose. The boogie guys are called the Wrath Warriors. Both of this has been confirmed on I think Rusty Davis put a thing on Instagram saying these are the very niche characters. I'm guessing they'll be the things that the Doctor and so on run away from. The big buggy guys, yeah. They apparently don't appear to be particularly mean. It sounds like essentially they're the Jadoon of the 70s. They are a police force designed specifically to capture Beep the Meep on their various thingies. So to go into theory zone, in the world of science fiction at the moment, we're getting a lot of cute, small things we have yeah. baby yoda and we have baby groot i don't think this is too far of a stretch to say that this is doctor who's going <laughs> i think beat the meep is there one to be cute and sell toys and i think also it is this twist of as we see in the trailer i think it's rose is interacting with it and it's oh these are the monsters it looks threatened and frightened but I think this is going to be the thing of everyone's going to feel sorry for this little fluffy thing and it's going to turn out to be awful and the big, horrible, laser-powered bug dudes are going to be the, not heroes, but the people who are trying to establish the peace. Oh, also, also on Instagram, we have confirmed that Beep the Meep will be voiced by Miriam Margoyles. She was Professor Sprout in Harry Potter. I don't know who that is, but cool. 
She's also been in Blackadder, Workshop of Horrors, Bay, Dreams and Giant Peach, Milan, Happy Feet, Early Man, Flushed Away. I think she does a lot of voice acting. Cool. But Miriam Margoyles will be Beep the Meep. Hmm. So that's a bit of news there. The thing I was wondering about based on this trailer is this doesn't really seem like a 60th anniversary special. It just seems like, at best, a special, at least in terms of what the content is. Obviously, there's a lot we don't know, but I was expecting a multi-doctor story for its 60th anniversary. It doesn't look like we're getting that. But this is just the trailer for the first special, isn't it? Yeah, it just says 2023, from what we know. Yeah. I'd guess that the Beep the Meep Wrath Warrior story, that'll be the first one. And then I guess it'll go through Neil Patrick Harris... We'll have a few adventures. All three adventures will feature him as sort of the... The end boss. The end boss, yeah. And his scheme. You would expect a multi-doctor thingy, but also it doesn't necessarily have to be a multi-doctor. We do have Shutigatwa, I'm assuming, at some point shows up. So we get at least those two. And I suppose since we have basically every doctor in Power of the Doctor, and I know that Peter Capaldi's mentioned recently that he doesn't really want to come back for multi-doctor things... It might just be a case of it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah, but it just seems quite a standard episode for it being the special. Yeah, it is safe to guess if this is next year, Christmas next year, that this is the surface level threat. The main story is happening between various characters, but there is an invasion or some such going on. So I think what they're showing us is this is the thing of the episode to keep it going at pace. And I'm assuming that the bigger plot, the more anniversary plot, is probably going to be happening on the keeping it under wraps for now. But I guess we'll see. It's still a very long time away. Yeah, you would expect fireworks for a big anniversary like that, especially considering what they did last time. Yeah, I mean, there still could be. We know there's going to be three. This may be just stuff for the first one and it might build up. Could just be three episodes. (laughs) It's also fine. Even if they're good, I could see people being disappointed by that because it is a landmark anniversary. Yeah. Lead a bit of action adventure and budget and stuff, but I wouldn't be overly surprised if it's not as apocalyptic as a big event style thingy can be. Do you think we'll end up getting the first one earlier than we anticipated? Because we're getting a lot of stuff about it and it seems like it's going to be torturous to wait until November or whenever it's all planned. I was thinking that because there's three 60th specials and I think also there might be a Chutigatwa adventure. I think there's going to be three specials that culminate on the 23rd of November and then a Christmas adventure for Chutigatwa. Yes, Christmas is his first episode, isn't it? Yeah, so that's a lot for November. That's more of just a small series, really. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be overly surprised if they space them out like David Tennant's last specials. This could be coming in Easter. Because you'd have to imagine that this first one is more or less done by now. It looks pretty done. <laughs> it will be filmed completely, at least, so they'll be in post-production for it now. Yeah, now we know they're filming the shooting out with stuff, so this is all, at least in the physical side, it's wrapped up. So I wouldn't be overly surprised if we get an Easter special or a May or June or something. I think I'd prefer that rather than this concentration of three big episodes. Yeah, I'd like that. Especially the 60th anniversary of its whole year. So yeah, they can space them out over the year. I think that'd be quite handy then saying if it was a compressed little in a month, that's basically a small series. But yeah, I guess it is very early to tell. But yeah, I think I'd prefer a more stretched out thing. Yeah, but we've got this trailer and it doesn't really show an awful lot. Well, it shows a lot, but not an awful lot at the same time. Yeah, I think it's showing a lot of surface level stuff. We're getting explosions and running around and 
aliens and flashing and weird accents. But yeah, I think a lot of it will be kept under wraps for a fair amount of time. And David Tennant hiding behind Sylvie and Sean. Yeah, it looks like Donna is going to remember in some capacity, unless she believes Sylvie's attempts at hiding him. Yeah. We'll find out. We'll find cool. Out. It was an unexpected surprise for Christmas Day. Yeah, it's a nice little Christmas treat. I know it's not usually not been ducked to on Christmas for a while, and we have to take what we can get. This will be the last Christmas for many years, probably, without Doctor Who being on. Yeah, it looks like it's going to slot back into its Christmas slot, which uh, I know people like. Yeah, I'm not thrilled by it either. I'm not thrilled by that. I like New Year's Day. There's nothing on New Year's Day. <laughs> Unless it means that's what Doctor Who with my family and they ask questions. <laughs> Catch up. <laughs> I don't know why he's back. Here's TARDIS Wiki. Shut up. Let me watch it. Just watch the episode and find out. <laughs> and I'm guessing it's going to be back to Saturday night when it airs as well. I don't know. Maybe. Did we discuss last time that they've confirmed there's eight episodes? Yes. Eight episodes plus a Christmas special every year. Yeah. So nine episodes a year. Yes. Nine episodes. An eight-episode series with a special, no yearly gaps or anything. That's the plan for right now. We'll see how that manifests. That's the plan, at least, for Series 14. Yeah, could be Saturdays, could be still Sundays, or Tuesday, or anything, I suppose. It doesn't make too much of a difference, really. Saturday's the traditional slot. It is traditionally Saturday, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily the best day. They'll maybe need to do some calculations to figure out what the best day to release something on streaming is. Yeah, Marvel's every Friday or Wednesday. They're on Thursdays now. Thursday. They were Fridays and then they changed to Wednesdays and then She-Hulk was Thursdays. When it used to be on Saturday, especially in the Peter Capaldi one, it tends to bump against Strictly Come Dancing quite a lot. So I think that's why they moved it over. But also it doesn't really matter to us <laughs> whichever day it comes out. I'd rather it wasn't Saturday though, because sometimes I socialise on Saturdays. Same with Christmas. Sometimes days are just kind of busy and there's quiet days we've got nothing to do. It'd be nicer to fit them on that. I'm thinking selfishly from a reviewer point of view because I don't want to be writing reviews on Saturday nights or on Christmas night. Yeah, exactly. When's everyone going to think of the poor reviewer? <laughs> <laughs> or BBC, if you're listening, or Bad Wolf, if you're listening. I'll take screeners. I can have them and then I can do it early and then I don't have to do it on Saturday nights or Christmas day. Exactly. I don't know screeners. Apparently they used to, but I don't know if they do that anymore. I think they were giving stuff out to big outlets. I know with the power of the Doctor, they did screenings, and they didn't have the last five minutes or something like that. Yeah, they just get people in. Usually the TV Guide people come in and watch it. I mean, that's about as much as you can get from BBC, really. But they cut the last five minutes, didn't they? Or the regeneration, anyway. Yeah, but I know that for series premieres or other stuff, they tend to just do an event in-house and they invite people down as opposed to a screeny thing. I remember when Capaldi's series was starting as part of the Edinburgh TV Festival, they were showing Deep Breath in the cinema. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I think Stephen Moffat was there doing a Q&A after or something. I'm not saying in a while, yeah, but I'd say it's not the most exciting episode to go watch in the cinema. <laughs> no. Well, that was one they played in the cinema as well, just for punters on the night it aired. Yeah. And they never did it again after that. No, I can see why. <laughs> it wasn't the best idea. The 50th anniversary, that made sense to have at the cinema. They went all out, they did it in 3D. And... Yeah, that had a bit more of a thing to it, and I guess it was successful enough to think they should do the Series 8 start on it. Yeah, and then either nobody went or nobody liked it, or both, and they didn't do it again. Pick your ones a little bit more carefully next time anyway any of the last things on the new trailer that we saw it's quite exciting that's nice i say it is quite far away and i wasn't as excited as usually i get for when a new year of duck two starts but 
This is quite exciting. There's a show about change and renewal, and it's always fun to see how it'll go. But this does feel very Series 4, 2009-ish, <laughs> 2008-ish sort of feel. So exciting, certainly, but I'm more looking forward to Shooting Atwa's Doctor than, than the specials, just because it's always nice when you're going into a brand new thing as opposed to a sort of tribute to something we know has been around for a while. Yeah, I do have my concerns about going back to pretty much where we left off when Russell T Davies left. Yeah, it's fun for them and it's fun for his friends. Is it going to be fun for us? We've seen four series of his Doctor Who already as it was. I'm more excited to see what he can do differently and what new styles he can bring in as opposed to looking back at his first go. But Either way, it's something to look forward to in maybe 11th month time or maybe before then. Yeah, and as we've discussed previously, it makes sense to bring back the most popular Doctor to take on the 60th anniversary rather than just lumping the new guy on it. Yeah, it would be a lot to go in on your first episode. Carry the special. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one last note on him. He appeared in both trailers and he's in the same scene. I know it came up quite recently that has been talk of trailers can't hide things too much but that background is essentially a big screen (laughs) (laughs) he won't be in some clouds in the episode he's somewhere specific but they don't want to tell us maybe the new tardis something like that yeah or somewhere that out of story context would be confusing or something maybe somewhere just really boring maybe donna's house yeah, it's just Donna's house. Her living room. When he regenerates again, he just destroys the living room. Yeah, a blank white waiting room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a green room, and it's like, oh, you just didn't put the green screen in. It's like, no, it is just a green room. <laughs> it's just a big green room. It's yeah. a big green room. We didn't forget. <laughs> that would be unique, shall we say. It would be unique. It would be a choice. But yeah, anyway, do you want to hop in your TARDIS and then travel to, I guess... The next news pod where you'll appear to talk about this. Yeah, because I'll see you next month when we get another tidbit of information. <laughs> but yeah, until then, I will leave you with Chris. See you in one month's time, probably. Probably, yeah. Enjoy your travels through time and space. Will do. Enjoy the rest of your news pod. Okay, so Isaac is away. You can hear him dematerialising as we speak. Thank God for that. Love his new outfit, though. He looks cracking. He combed his hair for this one. Maybe he didn't have it. It's nice that he's putting an effort into the podcast now. It's good. Yeah. And the beauty of it is, from his point of view, he'll immediately materialise on the next news podcast to talk about the next Doctor Who trailer. He's just stuck in this constant <laughs> cycle of just appearing on this podcast to talk about Doctor Who. He can't get away from it now. He goes where he's needed. Give him a few months and he'll just hate Doctor Who because he never gets to talk about anything else. Imagine such a world where that happened. Imagine. Anyway, let's continue our trailer journey. We have Oppenheimer. And this trailer that is available online is not the same trailer that we saw in IMAX before Avatar, but it's similar enough. It's focused around the terror of this invention. And there's a creeping inevitability to the trailer as well as it builds up to what will happen and how much it's going to change the world. And the longer trailer in the cinema mentions the potential to ignite the atmosphere so there's a lot of stakes around the creation of this thing that can't be uncreated after you've created it it doesn't mention it here but it does mention about how monumental it is it looks good i'm lukewarm on a lot of christopher nolan stuff and i wonder if this will be the same it just depends but it looks like it's a really interesting true story worth telling i've got to say it looks like it's amazingly shot i don't know tons about this story the background 
apart from the obvious. So I'm looking forward to seeing this, actually. It was one that when it was initially pitched, I was like, "Mm, I don't know how interesting that's going to be. But the more I've seen from the trailers and stuff, it's one that's kind of hooked me in a little bit. So I'll definitely be going to see this one. Killian Murphy is always good value. You always get good out of him. Got a great cast. Mm. Visually, it looks great. Christopher Nolan probably is really setting off an atomic bomb to get the shot. (laughs) He refuses to use CGI, so he's going to try and create it using non-CGI. That'll be interesting to find out how he does that. (laughs) Just use CGI. It's a tool. It's a filmmaking tool like any other. Just use it. He has used it before in Interstellar and Batman, of course. Probably Tenet. Let's move on to the film that's out the same day, at least for now. Barbie. We finally have a trailer for it. And... One thing that surprised me about it is the parody of the 2001 a Space Odyssey opening, <laughs> because I thought we weren't doing that anymore. I thought, milk the parody of the opening of that film for as much as it was worth. <laughs> I didn't think there was any more mileage in it, but apparently it's okay to do it again. So we've looped back round. We've come full circle. We're back to, this is funny again. Yes, it's no longer parody. It's now back in play. <laughs> the 2001 music in there. I've got to say, I still have no idea whatsoever what this film is. I do (laughs) not know. The opening of this, I was like, hang on, what? So she's giant and there's kids and they're throwing their dolls away and there's a voiceover bit. I still don't know what this film now is. (laughs) I'm still It seems to be about the creation of the grown-up doll and how important that was for history i guess but looking at the scenes that they then show at the end i don't know if it's going to cut like part documentary part parody barbie i don't (laughs) know it just seems odd i can't quite put my finger on it i mean i'm curious i've been curious about this since (laughs) it was announced but i still have many questions and I guess that's the intent of the whole thing. What I find amusing is that we have a lot of preteen girls and things going to see a Barbie movie and they'll get a Greta Gerwig movie. Like, what is this? This isn't for <laughs> us. Maybe it is, I don't know. Nobody knows. But they've ripped off the opening of 2001, which is hilarious because most of the audience won't even know what that is now. It's almost faded into cultural obscurity. It's one of those things that comes up, you know the music, but you don't know the context behind the music. Yeah, I think lots of people have heard that music mainly in use as a parody for slow reveal of something dramatic rather than its original purpose. And the scene itself is a riff on the actual opening of that movie. 2001 A Space Odyssey opens with monkeys beating each other up with bones and things and then they discover a monolith Mm -hmm. and then the film starts. So that's what they're doing there. But we'll see. It's very colourful. The production design is impressive and maybe it'll be fun. I don't know. We'll go see it the same day as Oppenheimer. Double bill. Do you do Oppenheimer first, then Barbie or Barbie, then Oppenheimer? As I've always said, it depends which timings are more convenient. That will influence (laughs) my decision. Then it'll be really upsetting when we see Barbie first, then go to the pub and then go to see Oppenheimer and find out I've booked a ticket for the day after for Oppenheimer. <laughs> no, no, this is for tomorrow. Like, no, I don't get to see Killian Murphy blow up a bomb today. I'll have to wait till tomorrow. It's entirely dependent on cinema scheduling, which one I'll see first, because you've got a timing. Ideally, you want to be walking out of one of them and straight into the other one with no gap, which doesn't always happen. Stay tuned for more exciting updates on cinema scheduling. Move on to The Last of Us, HBO's adaptation of the video game. This looks really good. It looks really, really good. I wonder if it'll break that video game curse that people think still exists. I think it was broken with Sonic and Detective Pikachu, personally. 
but people still think it's in play. And this looks like it could be a good example of a video game adaptation. It highlights all the stuff that the game does. So the growth in the relationship between Joel and Ellie. You see in the trailer, he describes her as cargo. So he's immediately set up to just not care about this person that he's taking from one place to another. It mentions a cure being developed. And you generally see people just being really hardened by the end of the world. Joel has just closed himself off emotionally because he's in survival mode. It looks really great. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I've not played the games. I've seen a bit of yourself playing them in the past. But yeah, it looks the business. It looks like another one of those HBO shows where they've really spent the budget on it to make it look really, really good. The only downside for me is they do that trailer thing of an eerie version of a pop song. I've got that in my notes too. The melancholy take on me. Yeah, you've got melancholy take on me and I'm like, oh, you did that. But apart from that, it looks good. It looks interesting. It's got those Walking Dead type vibes, maybe earlier season Walking Dead type vibes for me. So I'm interested in it. It looks good. Not much more to say on that. It's out quite soon as well. 15th of January is when it starts. So stay tuned for that. Next up is the latest in the comma darling cinematic universe. We had Don't Worry Darling last year. And now we have Alice Darling, which stars Anna Kendrick. It looks like a really interesting and visceral story about emotional abuse and coming from all these different directions. It just looks really unsettling. I'm really into the vibe of this trailer. And I really like Anna Kendrick as well. She kind of gets pigeonholed in a lot of these goofy comedic roles, and she was doing a lot of them, but she definitely has dramatic chops, and it would be good to see her getting the chance to make use of them. Yeah, this was a proper creepy trailer, this highlighting the emotional damage aspect, and the repetition of the lines in the trailer just makes you feel really uneasy by the end of it. I don't know if this is particularly for me, it's one of those ones you look at it and you go, nah, it's probably not one for me. But the trailer definitely achieves that, putting you in an uncomfortable state when you watch it. What do you think the 2024 Comma Darling movie will be? <laughs> and is it going to culminate in a big Comma Darling team up in a few years? The Comma Darling universe. Could happen. Probably won't. The reason I put it on the agenda by and large was to make the Comma Darling joke. So there we go, I did it. Oh, is that why? Also because I like the look of it. But making that joke was a big part of it, I wouldn't lie. Was it worth it? Yes. Do you feel satisfied in your life? I do, that's it. Yeah, good. I'm glad. My life is now complete. Congratulations, Craig, darling. You've done well. I will now ascend to a higher plane of existence. (laughs) Next up, we have another adaptation of The Three Musketeers. I didn't realise until today when I watched the trailer that it was in French. That was a surprise to me. But (laughs) it looks really good and authentic in terms of its costuming and setting and all that stuff it's probably a cut above the nonsense that was the last one which i don't remember that much i remember james corden was in it and i remember there was flying airships in a weird battle between airships that was somewhat reminiscent of the mutara nebula battle in wrath of khan which i did not expect from a three musketeers movie (laughs) i wouldn't recommend watching it it was also in 3d and i'm surprised they didn't take the opportunity to call it the 3d musketeers Oh, which was a shame but I don't remember when that was out I remember seeing it though, but this one I probably won't watch it because I really struggled with subtitles but I was really impressed with what I saw here Yeah, I'm with you, it looks very accurate and it reminds me just how much high school French I've forgotten (laughs) (laughs) See, I did German I did French at high school in standard grade and I appear to have forgotten all of it 
But unless they were asking what was in their fridge and what you had in your pencil case, then I was probably out of my depth to begin with. What are your hobbies? Does not show up anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, what are your hobbies? Do you live by the seaside? What is the way to the post office? (laughs) None of those seem to have appeared in that trailer, which I was disappointed about. (laughs) Like you say, the costuming and the sets and everything look fantastic in that. I was intrigued by the fact that it's in two parts, so I wasn't sure if the trailer itself is for the two parts or if this is for part one. And then there'll be a trailer for part two. It's probably just for part one, Mm. but I don't know. It could be this thing that they cut the trailer based on footage that they filmed for both parts and they don't know when the divide will be. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Like I say, I couldn't quite work it out from the way the trailer finished with promoting the fact that it was two parts. But yeah, it looks good. Eva Green's in it as well. She's always very good. Especially in French, maybe. I don't know. She can speak French. So she's in this. She may also be French originally. I actually don't know. I can't speak French. I let the funky music do the talking. Oh, God. The worst part is I remember who sang that song, but I'm just not going to mention that. If you're allowed to shoehorning comma darling jokes, then I'm shoehorning in musical lyrics. Bad musical lyrics. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on before we can drag down that rabbit hole and talk about Mario. We got a second trailer and a clip that we can talk about. I am still not keen on Chris Pratt in this role. I have no idea why anybody thought casting him as Mario was a good idea, beyond the fact that he can appear on The Late Show with whoever and say, I'm in Mario, go see it. Because all the kids will go see it anyway, because they do with animated films. There are lots of cool nods to the games, the level obstacles, you've got the Fire Flower, the Tanuki Suit, Mario Kart, the Rainbow Road, Mario Galaxy stuff. My issue with that is it looks like it's throwing absolutely everything you can think of associated with Mario into one film, which probably ends up with it being really bloated because you're running the whole gamut of stuff in one 90-minute adventure or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, you either look at it as they're not holding back to try and squeeze out three, four films out of this. They're, They're just throwing every reference they possibly can into film number one. I wrote down the same as you. They've kind of got the levels platform type thing there and they've got mock Mario Kart and a few other bits and pieces that I was able to pick up. Chris Pratt's casting, I don't really have a massive issue with him being cast in this. I've not got a huge connection to Mario, to be honest. I don't think the character of Mario is sacred in my heart, so I don't (laughs) really care. It's one of those where I'm like, yeah, maybe there would have been a better voice actor rather than a screen actor not wanting to try and diminish roles or anything here. But yeah, it's probably that kind of casting is because... Chris Pratt is going to get on talk shows and things to then encourage the parents to then take the kids because it's not really the kids that you're appealing to by putting Chris Pratt in it, it's the parents who will take the kids that you're appealing to. It looks fun, it looks like there's some silly bits and pieces in there, so it might be a sort of disposable watch, I'm not too sure. It's not a character I've got a huge tie to, but then it might be fun. I'm not particularly connected to Sonic either, but I enjoyed the first Sonic film when we went along. It was fun watching the clip of him walking through the Mushroom Mm. Kingdom and you see that it's built like a Mario level with all the floating, moving platforms and things and making the observation about, oh, so these bricks are just floating in the air. That's just the way (laughs) things work here. But there's also some questionable stuff that that annoys me. There's a bit where he says, let's-a-go, and he doesn't sound in any way passionate about it and when he does the wahoo as well when he's driving the car again zero passion there i do like the score though the way they've tied in the mario soundtrack i do like that because they've got some little subtle bits of it in there in the background i was like that's quite neatly done definitely and it'll probably be good we'll see it i imagine 
Anyway, let's move on to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So what did you think of this trailer? I thought it was an okay trailer. It didn't really tell me much about this film. It had a lot of footage of the previous film in there and voiceover from this film. I thought it was okay. It's a tease, and I guess it sort of achieves what we were talking about earlier on, which is it hooks you into wanting to see this film without revealing too much about what's going on in it. So it's leaving you surprises and things that can be discovered. I really enjoyed the first Spider-Verse film. I'm 100% up for this, even if they hadn't released a trailer. But my one little problem is you don't really have much of this film in it. But if that means that they're holding surprises back and stuff that we can discover when we watch it, then I'm kind of okay with that. I thought this trailer was really good. I like that it makes it clear that Miles is the focus. He's the main character of this story. And the conversation he has with his mother, it's a mother worried about their child fending for themselves. It extends that metaphor of being a superhero as adulthood. Miles is a teenager, but he's on the cusp of adulthood. He's about to go into the world and make his own mark on it and not really have to lean on his parents anymore and that's something his mother's worried about she's worried about letting him leave the nest in that profound way and that gets extended through the fact that he's fighting to save the multiverse with other spider-men and women which is a really interesting thing that was the beauty of the first film is that it kept doing miles's shoes throughout Mm. so that made all the outlandish stuff easier to accept and it made it all meaningful and this is a film that's going to be dialing that up to ridiculous extremes so you need that grounding more than ever i agree with you with that actually it's a good point and there's lots of easter eggy stuff in the trailer i watched someone else's video breaking it down i wasn't <laughs> sitting there going frame by frame myself suffice to say there's a lot of them there's different costumes there's symbiote spider-man future foundation suit various armored spider-man the insomniac spider-man he walks past bagman as in he's wearing a fantastic four costume with a paper bag on his head there's the werewolf one, superior Spider-Man can be seen. Spectacular Spider-Man is in the poster, I don't think he's in the trailer. Scarlet Spider, etc, etc. There's loads. I think that almost every Spider-Man that's ever been and ever will be will turn up in this film, even if they are just swinging past the screen for a second. Yeah, I imagine once the final film is released on demand and on video, there will be entire wikis of every single one that appears <laughs> in here as they're able to sit there and screenshot and analyse each one. I did the same as you. I looked at a couple of articles where it was, here's different Easter eggs that are in here. And it is down to the fact that they're zooming in on the corner of someone's suit and going, look, (laughs) that stitching means it's XYZ Spider-Man. And you're like, oh God. Folk are very, very good at that. I'm looking forward to seeing who crops up in this. I'm curious. certainly cropped up in significant roles because... It's easy, well, it's not easy, but it's easier to animate a fleeting image running past just as an Easter egg. Yeah, that's what I mean. The ones that are actually going to be speaking roles, appearing roles, rather than they're in the background of a shot where there's a conference of Spider-Men and there's lots of people suited up in the background and they never speak. I'm more interested in the ones that Miles is going to be actually interacting with through the film. Yeah, and it looks a bit like Spider-Man 2099, the Oscar Isaac character, is going to be a villain of sorts. Or certainly an antagonist. Hmm. Because he's chasing after Miles and Seems so. all that good stuff. Yeah, can't wait for this. MCU, you showed us three white male Peter Parkers. We're going to give you this. Mm-hmm. On this scale, it's going to be unheard of. And obviously there's two of these. It's only part one. So it'll be interesting to see. We didn't see the spot who is the villain 
of the two films. Apparently, it was confirmed that the Spot will be the antagonist of both films. So maybe it'll be he'll be lightly in the background of the first one, and Spider-Man 2099 will be the misunderstood antagonist, and then they'll flip the script for the final one. Who knows? But looks really cool. I really like that shot of Miles and Gwen sitting upside down with her ponytail dangling down to show that she's mm. sitting upside down. I like when they do that with Spider characters. It's just they're naturally inclined to sit upside down because they can. Yeah, just cause. It's one of the things they did well in the Amazing Spider-Man films. It's when he's sketching out costume or whatever, he's just sitting upside down on the wall in the corner because it feels natural to him now. So it's those little touches. Probably having a heart-to-heart type conversation, but they're doing it while hanging upside down. Great. Further shows that these people know what they're talking about and care about what they're talking about. Oh, I can hear howling in the distance. Can you hear howling in the distance? Yes. Maybe you should run. I'll go investigate. It's probably Cat again. Yeah, I'm just going to go and hide again. I'm just going to hide. I was going to say it's that time of the month, but I don't know if that's inappropriate. But I've said it now. Anyway, I'll see what's up. Yeah, don't look to me for permission. (laughs) Cat, have you considered seeing a doctor about these unscheduled transformations that keep happening? Because you're scaring off my contributors. Sorry, man. I don't know what to say. These deep gouges appeared one night, and now I... Anyway, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. Don't go petting strange animals when walking at night. Is the moon full tonight? Hi, how's it going? (laughs) Yeah, going good. Going good. It is currently very cold. Oh, same here. I am wrapped up in all of the blankets. And you have your own fur, so that helps. It does. It is pretty good, I will say. To be a werewolf in this climate. The one time it's actually pretty good. The bloodlust and whatever else, that's a drawback. But at least you're warm. Yeah. So we have another... Teen Wolf thing. You'll be glad when this is out so that you can stop talking about the anticipation of it coming out. I know every few weeks they're like, here's another thing. And okay, just release <laughs> the movie already. And this trailer does that thing I hate when trailers do, where it shows a clip from the trailer and says, you're about to watch this trailer. Really hate that. Oh yeah, my partner's very mad about this. Every time we watch a trailer, the commenting is incessant. We all know why this is happening, and it's all just feeding the preview thing on YouTube and wherever. And yeah, it sucks. It's not great. I know I'm about to watch the trailer, that's why I clicked on it. Yeah, just put the trailer on. (laughs) You don't have to tease the thing that's only two minutes long that is in itself a teaser of a thing that's not out yet. But anyway, I watched this trailer and my only reaction is that I have no idea who anybody is or what's going on, but things are back that people are really worried about. That's what I took from it. Basically, if people haven't seen the Teen Wolf trailer, this one is the most trailer, like, they're telling us basically what the movie's going to be about. The previous ones, there was a clip that was released that was just a little excerpt that teased the return of this character who's been gone for a while. The first trailer, I think, was my favorite one because it was more of a mood piece. Ooh, vibes, you know? I've always appreciated the vibes of Teen Wolf. This particular trailer, I feel like... It tells us a little bit too much. I feel like I know what's happening in this movie now, and it's not what I wanted out of this movie. So I'm a little less enthused by it, I gotta say. First of all, no Dylan O'Brien in the trailer at all. And just seeing the plot just makes me less confident that he'll show up at all. They wouldn't do a cameo for him because he was the show or he was the fandom. Everyone was there for Dylan O'Brien, basically. And it's an interesting story premise where, and I've talked about this character before, Allison, the actress wanted to leave because she wanted to pursue a film career. And then when it didn't work out, 
because she wasn't getting any parts because bless her heart she's okay but she's not a fantastic performer she's all right (laughs) and the auditions weren't working out and so then she kind of crawled her way back to and this is an interpretation of course allegedly this happened but she basically crawled her way back to teen wolf and they wrote her back in as an ancestor of her character who got killed off because she wanted to leave so here's this entire movie that's predicated on Allison's return and she has no memories and it might not even be her. Someone says that the kitsune is playing tricks. So the kitsune is a fox spirit that was quite crucial in the mid to later seasons of Teen Wolf, which was a very cool thing that they added that I don't really see very many werewolf media do, which is actually lift myths and stories from other places of the world and weave them into the werewolf mythology in a way that I think makes very good sense. So it'd be cool to see that even though Arden Cho, who was the kitsune in the show, is not in this movie. So it's going to be someone else, I guess, which is a bit, I don't know. I understand that it's all availabilities of who can make it and who wants to come back and things like that. But it's a little disappointing that some of the plot choices made would have benefited from certain characters being back. But alas, and it doesn't look like we're going to get very much by way of answers of how long has this been going on in Beacon Hills? I think I've talked about this before. There was one character who, in a throwaway line at the end of one season, kind of pulled a a Lost Boys and said, oh, well, it's Beacon Hills, all of these werewolves and things. Wait, who knew? For how long? What's happening here? And it doesn't look like we'll get much of that either. And I don't know, man. It just kind of seems like an overblown Teen Wolf reunion episode, which I'm much less enthused by. I was hoping for something a little more substantial. That being said, I might be completely wrong in interpreting this trailer. I will watch this movie. I'm just a little tired of all the trailers now the more you tell me the less i want to see this movie so maybe don't release another trailer please and thank you (laughs) surely they can it's just over a month until release you've got enough media out there (laughs) i don't know man i could see them being like "Ooh, it's january 1st here's a trailer (laughs) but i've had enough This will be your last news appearance to talk about trailers before the release because the next news recording will be around or after the release of the actual film. Yeah. So I guess the lingering question, and I suppose the lingering question has always been this, is why are they doing this? After all this time, why are they bringing this back? I get that there's a huge fandom around it and things, but it gets to a point where fandoms have said goodbye to something and they're content with it being over and don't expect it or don't really want it to come back. Yeah, I don't know that the Teen Wolf fandom was always like, oh man, we gotta have a movie now. We're getting the six seasons and a movie treatment, so (laughs) to speak. And especially because of the way the fandom kind of formed organically on Tumblr and other places, the stuff that the fandom cares about kind of doesn't seem to be in here. So who is this for? (laughs) If you're going to pander to the fandom and give us a movie, where's Styles? Are we really going to have Derek being straight married and with a teenage son? Is that really the way you're going to go about it after queer baiting for six seasons? Cool. (laughs) There's just things like that that I'm just like, yeah, who is this for? I'm glad that Colton Haynes is back. Obviously, he exited the show and it did him wonders for his career. So it's fine. 
And I'm glad that he's back because maybe we get a little bit of closure for his character because he unceremoniously was just written off as having moved to London, an American werewolf to London. Get it? Yeah. I don't know who this movie's for. Far be it for me to speak for the entire fandom, but I'm sure that I am not alone in feeling this way. I'll watch it, but my interest is not peaked anymore because the stuff that I was hoping would be in this don't seem to be and so yeah i don't know yeah i speak from the experience of seeing a few things that i'd said goodbye to tv shows and things coming back after years of not being on and thinking oh yeah i can't wait to see this thing happen again and then when i see it happen again i'm thinking it's kind of okay with it being done yeah. to be honest <laughs> i'm looking at you picard oh yeah exactly reunions and returns and spin-offs and things like that sometimes you don't have to do it even if you didn't go out with a bang even if the ending was not what you wanted it to be creatively sometimes when things are over they really are over and Acting like it's not, or acting like, oh yeah, we can totally recreate the same magic. It's kind of why I've been a little afraid in re-engaging with some of my old fandoms that have come back, like Criminal Minds is back. I loved that show. I was in the Criminal Minds fandom for some time, and part of me is like, oh yay, I'm glad that the team is back and they're doing things. But on the other hand, I'm like, do we need this? I don't know. And what if it's bad? Sometimes you mourn something for a while, you're upset that it's gone, and then you move on and find something else. That's okay. That's just the cycle of becoming a fan of something, isn't it? Eventually, it disappears. You're upset about it, or maybe you're satisfied by the way it ended, but either way, there's a sort of grieving period, and then you're on to something else. There's other things that you'll like, and now they're just forcing all these things back. They're just plucking our nostalgia strings, and I really hate it, (laughs) actually. Every time I hear about something coming back, I'm like, oh, God, not another thing that's coming back. And it's very much clearly a ploy for nostalgia's sake. That's it. Nostalgia and capitalizing on an existing audience because investors are too scared that they won't get their money back otherwise. Yeah. The thing is, Teen Wolf was an experiment in making something that allegedly was connected to the Michael J. Fox movie. It is not on any level. Nothing about it has anything to do with the Teen Wolf movie. There's a guy named Scott who's a werewolf. And he plays a sport. It's not even basketball. He plays lacrosse in this. (laughs) And none of the plot of the show has anything to do with the original Teen Wolf movie. It's just not related. In fact, I would say it's such a tangential connection that this is the closest thing to an original show about werewolves and things that is not based on a novel. It's not based on anything. It's here you go, a new story, new world building, and it worked, and it was appreciated very organically, and it just kind of exploded because people liked it. And then by the end of the show, it was a shell of what it once was. As I've, I think, talked about on this podcast before, sometimes when original cast members leave and you bring in new people, etc., it just kind of loses its appeal. So it, it did go out with a whimper a little bit, but also it's fine. There's been other shows in my life, looking at you, Supernatural, that did not go out when they were supposed to, and they just kept going <laughs> <laughs> for 10 more years. <laughs> I always enjoyed Supernatural, so I'm, oh, I was okay man. with that. It was a nice little constant in my life. <laughs> for half of my life, almost. A permanent presence. Yeah, quite. Anyway, that's kind of all I have to say on this. I will watch it, but also, eh. The Teen Wolf connection sounds a bit like what they did with the 12 Monkeys TV series, as in 
someone goes to a network executive or whoever they pitch these things to and says, I've got this great idea for a show. And then they say, call it 12 Monkeys and we'll make it. Yeah, this is basically 12 Monkeys. How about we call it that? And then you can do whatever you want. Yeah, I wonder if that's what happened with Teen Wolf as well. Call it Teen Wolf because then we've got some name recognition there. Yeah, it's a movie from the 80s that the people who were the intended target audience for Teen Wolf would probably not have seen. No, your target audience won't know it exists, maybe. Because it was teenagers in the late 2000s, early 2010s. So their parents would have watched this movie, but they would have been unlikely to have watched this movie. So yeah, just a silly thing, really. And also just kind of a weird title for something that not necessarily takes itself too seriously, but it takes itself more seriously than the Teen Wolf movie with Michael J. Fox. Sure. And so it was embarrassing to say that I meant to Teen Wolf because it's a show named Teen Wolf. It's kind of stupid sounding. Yeah, it's a bit of a connotation to it. Yeah. In any case, I can't speak to marketing execs and their weird decisions. Yeah, and it maybe puts people off as well, if you think about it. I'm not watching a show about teenage werewolves. Yeah, exactly. It just kind of sounds not great. We have our next trailer, which is connected but not connected. It's not really a trailer. It's a scene wolf pack, which is, I have to say, being erroneously reported as a spin-off. It is not. It's a completely different thing. It is a completely different thing. It's based on novels that nobody has read, and it's created by Jeff Davis, who created Teen Wolf. Reputable or should be reputable publications are calling it a spin off. No, it's not. No, you don't it have is to read too far in to find out that it's not. You should check your work, whoever you are, reporting <laughs> these things. But the clip, it was fine. It seems to be the early stages of discovering a werewolf. I think I saw a thing, a person or whatever. No, it was just an animal. You treat it like an animal. That's what the argument's about. Yeah. Sarah Michelle Geller seems to be on pretty top form in that scene. She does a really good job, I think. I haven't seen her act in such a long time. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just the writing being awkward. I was like, oh man, that's Sarah Michelle Gellar now. Maybe she should stick to selling cake mixes or whatever it is. (laughs) I'm not convinced by this. As much as I liked seeing uh, the guy who's the hot French guy from Love Actually. I think he plays a French guy. He's actually Brazilian. But in any case, I was like, is that the guy from Love Actually? Yes, it is. Yeah, he's partnered with Laura Linney for the Love Actually fans in the room. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which I am sure there's a few. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies, so it is high Love Actually season. As deeply problematic as it is. It is. Oh, absolutely. And it's not a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Let it be known. I don't think Love Actually is a good movie, but I like it. So whatever. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's always this awkward bit in shows like this, including Teen Wolf, I will say, but I think just generally all of the supernatural stuff, hey, you need to suspend your disbelief. You need to basically open yourself up to the idea that werewolves exist. That wasn't just an animal, it's something else, or it's a human that transforms. You gotta be open to this, and then there's people resisting it because it's ludicrous, because of course it is. It always happens, man. I don't think that there's a show that hasn't done this, and I guess we have to go through the motions of doing this too, so we can finally embrace that there's werewolves and then get on with it, get on with the actual story. It's the Mulder and Scully dynamic, isn't it? You've got the skeptic and the believer. Yeah, because you can't have both characters be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is happening, cool. I know how to handle this. No, you don't. (laughs) These things were not existing until five minutes ago, and now you're like, oh, right, okay, change in attitude. Then they'll have the episode where they try all the mythical ways of defeating it and finding out which ones work and which don't. 
none works yet. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this show yet. I feel like casting Sarah Michelle Gellar at this point is a little bit, well, a little bit. It's stunt casting is what it is. Completely. And I don't necessarily know if I like that as, oh, well, we need that in order for the show to be a hit. And I thought her performance was quite wooden. If that's what we're getting from her in this, I'm just going to tune out because I don't have the time. I love Jeff Davis. Criminal Minds was his creation, and it was one of my biggest fandoms for years. Teen Wolf was his creation, and again, was hugely important in my life for a time. So I'm willing to give it a go because I like the guy's work. But also, I don't have the time for low-quality nonsense. So we'll see how it goes. Let's just say that. I thought Sarah Michelle Gellar did pretty well in the scene. It's hard being a skeptic, though, because you have to be that stoic non-believer. I think that's it's always the more challenging about it, because you can be more animated when you're trying to convince someone that something is real. Whereas if you're just denying its existence, there's only one note there, really. But I think she did well there, and it'll be interesting to see her act again. I can't remember the last thing I saw her in. I'm really not sure. She hasn't really done much since Buffy. Yeah. I think she was in some show where she played twins. Oh, okay. I can't remember what it was called, but I seem to recall that being on. I don't think I watched it, though. And she's maybe had the odd small role in a film here and there. Mm. But yeah, I thought she'd essentially given up acting. So there must be something here to bring her back. Maybe the money's running out. I don't know. But yeah, this clip doesn't really give you much. I would have preferred an actual broader trailer than showing as a scene, because the scene doesn't really tell you an awful lot. No, not really. And it's removed from its context. We both get enough from it to infer things. But also, is this representative of what the show is going to be like? Why release this? I think it was a Comic-Con release that was tacked on to the Teen Wolf panel. Oh, I see. But I'm not sure what they're trying to get out of this. I guess if you're playing it to an audience that might already be excited by seeing something, then you get a different reaction. And then it mm. turns up online and people like us sit there and eviscerate it. Yeah. But yeah, that's all I really have to say about it. It's something that's coming. I think it comes at the same time as Teen Wolf. I think so. So that'll be weird. Yes, and not at all confusing for those who still think this is a spin-off. <laughs> yeah, for those that are reading those articles online that call it a spin-off. And then they're just going to watch this and just be like, oh, it's not a spin-off. None of the Team Wolf characters are in this. Maybe they're being purposely misled so they watch this, at least the first episode, and then realise they've been lied to, but they've already had huge numbers on the first episode. But the thing is, it's streaming. So the thing is, if people watch the pilot and then they quickly realize, oh, this has nothing to do with the thing I actually like. Those numbers are kind of meaningless. Yeah. So I don't know what good it would do to purposely mislead an entire audience like that. Not sure about it. But money people behave in strange ways. Yeah, it's true. I'll maybe watch the first episode of this, but I'm not sure that it'll be for me. Mm. It looks about the same as every show like this. Just this kind of sleepy, slow-paced tone. Yes. That creates a huge barrier for entry to me. Mm -hmm. If something doesn't grab me quickly, I'll drop it at this point. And it doesn't look like this will grab me very quickly because it'll probably be one of those things where we're 20 minutes into the first episode and absolutely nothing's happened. Completely agree with that. Shows like this were very popular in the 2000s. Slow burns. Yeah. As people call TV them. was just a different game at the time. Let's not forget that this is on Paramount+. Plus. Right now, for example, I'm on a one-week trial for Paramount+, Plus because we wanted to watch a, I forget what it was, a movie, I think. And we don't plan to keep it. So we'll probably sign up for another trial at some point, but then, again, 
probably not keep it. You're competing with Netflix and Prime and Disney Plus and whatever else people subscribe to. And Paramount Plus does not necessarily have the biggest offering to justify another separate subscription. So you gotta consider that when you're making a show, not necessarily to compromise your creative vision, but that slow pace, that slow burn is not really on trend anymore. TV has moved on from this. So I don't know if Jeff Davis is really old school and he just kind of does things a certain way, but I completely agree with you. There's so many shows like this that start off and it takes six or seven episodes to warm up. I don't have six or seven episodes in me to warm up. At this point, six or seven episodes is often the entire season for a lot of shows at the moment. So you just have to move on with the times and make things a little snappier, a little zazzier, a little more thrilling. Or if you're gonna go the slow and sleepy, but sleepy in a compelling sense, maybe. I don't think this is that show. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll see. We can't know yet. Audiences have lower attention spans than they've ever had. If you lose them for a second, they'll pick up their phones. I've been guilty of that sometimes. Exactly. They'll pick up their phones. They'll cancel Paramount Plus. Yeah, it's just not viable anymore. Aaron talks about his partner apparently will give a show two minutes. And if it doesn't grab her, she'll drop it. Wow. That's harsh, given series an entire episode. And then if it doesn't grab me, gosh, there's been some things that my partner's like, no, I swear, I swear it gets so good later. And I'm like, oh my God, we've already watched seven or eight episodes and I'm bored and I don't like this. (laughs) Yeah, later I suppose it does get better, but at what cost? I've spent how much time getting to a place where it's like, yeah, that was okay. I just don't have that kind of time, especially for new things anymore. Does it get better or has it just indoctrinated you? Which is ah, That's also a question. Yes. Very valid. Jury's still out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you for showing up to talk about some wolf-related things. I will let you howl and go back to your warm cave or wherever you're hiding these days. Yes, no worries. I hope it's warm. It's very cold out. <laughs> it's very cold. <laughs> See you later. Okay, that was Kat. She's okay. I think she's just having a bit of werewolf problems, as you do. Nothing we can do about that. Anyway, let us move on to our actual news, our stuff that we are here to talk about that isn't trailers. Let's start with our pillars, like we always do. Let's start with Marvel. What have Marvel been up to? The answer is not very much, but they have done some casting for Daredevil Born Again. They have cast Margarita Lavivia, if I think that's how you pronounce it, and Sandrine Holt. They're both set to play significant roles in the show. They haven't said who they're playing. They may be playing love interest for the leads, reps for Marvel, and the actors decline to comment. So one of them will be Daredevil's love interest, and the other might be Kingpin's love interest. Okay. But yeah, got a bit of casting for that, so that's moving forward. And Charlie Cox said something about the fact that it will be dark, but not as dark as the Netflix show, which we knew anyway, didn't we? Yeah, we kind of suspected that. It seems like good casting. I've not seen Margarita in anything. I think she's also going to be in The Acolyte on Disney+. Plus. But Sandrine Holt I've seen because she's popped up in a bunch of stuff that I've watched, like The Expanse and House of Cards, Mr. Robot, a bunch of stuff like that that she's been in. So yeah, it seems like good pieces of casting there. Yeah, Margarita has also been in The Deuce and Revenge, and a Netflix show called In From The Cold. She will next be seen in ITV and Tiber Aspects, Litvininko. Nothing I've seen. And Sandrine Holt recurred on 
American Gigolo, as you say, Better Call Saul, The Expanse, Showtime, Homeland, MacGyver, Law and Order, Special Victims Unit, and House of Cards. Love a bit of MacGyver. Bring back MacGyver. Bring back MacGyver. It. You cowards. <laughs> <laughs> Uncancel MacGyver, please. Uncancel MacGyver. Thanks. Doesn't matter if the actors have moved on to something else, get them back. Chris wants them back. Make it yeah. so. <laughs> the next Marvel-adjacent thing is Sony are doing something else. It's very funny. Oh, Donald Glover yay. is to star in and produce a Sony Marvel film about the Spider-Man villain Hypno-Hustler. The Hypno-Hustler appeared in Marvel Comics in 1978, is one of Spider-Man's more obscure villains with the ability to hypnotise his victims with his guitar. By day, he's known as Antoine Desloines, lead singer of a band called the Mercy Killers. They use their music to rob their audiences. I'm sure I must have read the comic he was in, but I do not remember it at all. But it's just very funny that it's, yeah, okay, we'll make a film out of this guy. Sony have this tendency where they announce something ridiculous, but then there's someone really interesting tied to it that yeah. then makes me go, well, I feel that I can't diss this now because... And then it comes out and you're like, hey, it's still rubbish. Doesn't matter who's associated with it. Oh yeah, it's still rubbish. But they have this thing where they manage to tie interesting people to these projects and then you go, well, it seems like I should be pulling this to pieces, but... You've got someone interesting attached. I genuinely don't know. It seems that they are scraping the proverbial barrel to get some of these characters and go, oh, we can make a thing out of this that's standalone. My only hope is that if this is genuinely standalone and nothing to do with Spider-Man and blah, 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 don't fill the trailer full of Spider-Man stuff that you cut from the film. (laughs) That's my wish. Don't try and pretend that there's something bigger at play here if there's not, because that's rubbish to do. If you're doing a film about the hypno-hustler, have a film about the hypno-hustler. I've got no problem with that. Just don't try and fill the trailers full of Spider-Man teases to try and get people to promote your film and then cut it all out. And the thing is, we scoff at the concept of them developing these characters, but then if you think back to a general audience point of view of when Iron Man was coming out, there would have been a similar cry of, who the hell is Iron Man from a lot of people? And now they're just digging into the weeds of these comic book universes and they're adapting characters. And I don't think there's any necessarily innately bad idea to adapt a character. It's all down to how you do it, because we've seen them do some really obscure characters really well in other things. But also, we have seen Sony not really deliver much in the way of quality when it comes to their films. Because you get someone really interesting added to it. and The Venom films are fine. I think both of them are perfectly fine. They're not great, but they're okay. Morbius is an abomination. <laughs> and Madam Web, who knows? It could go either way at this point, but it's got a great cast. Craven the Hunter, probably going to suck. We just know that the other one, the wrestler one, is just going to be him fighting someone else with a magical mask. And this, is it going to be fighting another hypnotist? How do you even do a hypnotist battle? It could be an interesting story. If you're doing it as a standalone thing, discovering you've got the power to hypnotise people with your guitar and then suddenly you go down the path of, oh, I can rob people with my guitar or I can start using this power and are you using it for good or are you using it for evil and do it as its own standalone thing. It could be an interesting film. It's got that potential, but... We've had our fingers burnt with a few of these things. I'm with you. I enjoy some of what they've done in the Venom films. More the first one than the second one. Morbius did not like. Had many problems with it. And they've announced these other ones that are in development or are near completion. And I just stand to be convinced on their merit. It might be that they're fantastic films. I might love them all. 
<laughs> but until proven otherwise, they've got a bigger miss ratio than they've got a hit ratio at the moment for me. Yeah, there's no information on why Donald Glover's involved in this. I don't know whether he approached them and said, I really want to do this character, or he just ended up getting thrown in because it was something to do rather than not doing something else. But it'd be interesting to see what his perspective is, because I know he was really championing the Miles Morales thing for a while, and then he appeared in Homecoming as Miles's uncle who Hmm. obviously becomes, well, maybe not obviously, but who becomes a prowler. And I wonder if he was holding on for the MCU, maybe doing something with him, and it's just not happened. I don't know, but it just seems weird that he's tied to this nothing character, really. And obviously with the nothing characters, there's a real blank slate approach that you can take to this. But we know the formula of these Sony Marvel things now. It's character gets powers and then fights someone with the same powers, and we have to sit through a painful period of time until they get to that point like i say the venom films are okay but i think morbius is more the template and that's worrying well it repeats the same template that you've done in the other two so that's your third film where you've done the similar shtick yeah and venom just happened to be okay for different reasons yeah whereas morbius was what is this Hmm. eventually he'll fight matt smith and we can go home Maybe that's what this will be like. Eventually, Donald Glover will fight other hypnotists, and then we can go home. More on this as it develops. Get actual dueling banjos. <laughs> yeah, that's it. One has a guitar, and one has... Ukulele. Yeah, why not? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Please, make it a ukulele. Thank you. I want the other one of a recorder, because they're a horrible instrument. There's your villain, because he plays a recorder. Triangle. let's move on to dc where do we begin with this well we begin all over again craig that's what we do that's all we do we reboot and then when that doesn't work we reboot again and then we'll (laughs) reboot until the end of time (laughs) have you tried turning it off and on again yes we have several times it hasn't worked (laughs) have you tried it again it's like trying to fix your computer after someone's ripped the hard drive out by turning it off and on again constantly there's no hard drive there's nothing to boot from Stop it. All you're doing is wearing out the power button. There's only so many times you can tape over this using your VCR. (laughs) Last month, we reported on what had been happening at the point. That was just after James Gunn and Peter Safran got appointed to DC. And now they've been making a lot of waves. They seem to be essentially cancelling a lot of stuff. They haven't announced anything yet, but they've cancelled a lot of things. So Henry Cavill, last month, we announced he's back as Superman. And that was true for about a week. Now he's not back. James Gunn is going to be writing a new Superman movie that is set, say it with me, uh, the early part of his career. Great. We have another young Superman story because we haven't had enough of those. And it's something I keep saying. Superman, Batman and Spider-Man particularly seem to be caught in this perpetual cycle of they get so far and then they start again. And we never really get to see all these interesting later stories. At least with Batman, they rotate the villains a bit as they go. But with Superman, they don't. Superman has always been Lex Luthor and Zod. So we haven't really seen much beyond that. We got Doomsday right enough in the Snyder movies, kind of. But that was rubbish. It wasn't very well done. That wasn't really as a Superman movie, though. That's the thing. No, and it was just tacked on at the end of whatever that movie was, which was a disappointment. Can you believe that we've been making Superman films since the 70s and we've never seen Brainiac on the big screen? (laughs) And he's one of Superman's biggest villains. And he has other huge villains that... They can make use of, but we never get them. And even just situations that we've never got to see, because it is always just a riff on somewhat the same thing. And it's just really dull in that respect. The prospect of going back further is annoying to me. And then Henry Cavill not doing it anymore as well. He's just never going to get that chance to be the Superman that we know he can be, that we've seen yeah. glimpses of in other things. 
And that's a complete shame. I saw this meme online and it was a picture of Andrew Garfield and a picture of Henry Cavill and it was captioned, hang on, so we get fired because your films suck. <laughs> it's basically the way it's happened, isn't it? It's these actors that are positioned to be the right people in the role and they're at the complete wrong time. They're at this time where just everything's in turmoil and they suffer as a result of it. And of course, Henry Cavill, he's not going to be homeless or he's not going to lose money about this because as I'll talk about later, he is doing a Warhammer 40k series that he is going to be producing. He's going to be running it. Maybe not running it, but he will be heavily involved in the background of that. So he's going to be fine. So it's not as if we're going to be watching Henry Cavill join the dole queue or anything like that. But just from the point of view of getting to see stuff that I want to see, I'm just upset by this. Yeah, I kind of get your point about not getting that Superman story that's set a bit further in his life when he's more established. We're going to be talking about it later, but Superman and Lois has been doing that. And that's been quite interesting to see because it makes a pleasant change. You're absolutely right. Spider-Man falls into that camp. Batman falls into that camp quite a lot. And there was some stuff that seemed to be getting planned for that that's now not there. When it comes to this, it seems like there's been a lot of really bad media management around all these things where one part of the company doesn't seem to know what the other part of the company's doing. Where they've went and told James Gunn, you can do what you want. You've got a blank canvas or you can take the existing stuff off the canvas. You can do this, you can do that, you can do anything. Here you go, sign here saying that you can do everything. But weeks prior to getting James Gunn to sign that piece of paper, they've also told Henry Cavill, hey Henry, how about you say to everyone that you're going to be Superman again? Oh, and we've put you in the post-credits of Black Adam because it will get everyone really excited. And he's went, sure, I will. And he's announced that. And it seems that one hand just doesn't seem to have known what the other's doing. And I kind of feel for James Gunn in that because none of these announcements are coming out on their terms. It's all just flooding out as dribs and drabs of this is cancelled, this might not be happening, this is getting moved about, this is not in development anymore. Rather than them standing and doing a big conference or a big release going, here's our roadmap, here's the things that we are working on, here's how this canon's going to work with this canon and this bit's playing into this bit and showing that joined up mesh. Instead, it's they're just getting these falling out announcements of, oh, well, this isn't happening, that isn't happening, that's not going ahead. And the films that are still on the slate are pretty much, yeah, we've got them in the can, so they're going to go on screen and then that's it. They're not necessarily going to be going any further. But until you get the formal announcement of what they're actually doing, I don't really know what to do with it. I feel for Henry Cavill, I do think... It would have been nice to see a Superman being a dad and juggling family life, super life, and you get that different take that you've not seen before. I think that would have been really interesting. But I can also absolutely see why James Gunn would be tempted to come along and go, see all that stuff that you've watched? It means nothing now. We are starting afresh. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to try and build it properly from the start and try and explain exactly how everything merges together whether they do this sort of star wars approach of going this is in the legends camp and this is actual canon or these are stories and this is legacy i don't know how they're gonna plot that out but you can see the temptation of we're gonna do our own casting we're gonna pull in our own story instead of trying to work with the rubble that is lying around from multiple redos because even where they've not necessarily rebooted canon for the DC universe. They've kind of went, oh, actually, we're now going down the 
path of we're going to do individual films and we're just going to make the individual films as good as the individual films can be. And you were like, okay, that's good. That's a good idea. Well done. And then they went, oh, no, actually, they're going to be canon again. They're all going to be together because we want to do that now. Don't worry, the Flash will fix it. Yeah, and then you go, well, hang on, that doesn't match with this, and this makes no sense next to that, and that makes no sense next to that. And they go, I just ignore those bits, but the rest of it all joins together, right? And you go, no, no, it doesn't. So I totally get them wanting to reboot. You've just got to hope that they stick to their, excuse the pun, guns this time, (laughs) and actually follow this path and retain confidence in it for at least a few films. <laughs> let's let some films actually come out this time without one film coming out, it doing not as well as you want it to or slightly differently than you want it to, and then they immediately throw out the entire roadmap and start editing films that are halfway through production and changing scripts and recasting and re-throwing everything partway through to try and correct because that's where all the canon just seems to fall to pieces. The key is not listening to idiots on Twitter which is something they've been guilty of definitely in the past. Yeah, I think part of your reason for wanting to clear that slate is also to clear some of that toxicity out. I genuinely think part of that will be in the temptation of you can't complain about this isn't your Superman doing your Superman things that you want if I've got rid of your Superman and just wiped it from the canon. But the Snyder fanboys are always going to kick off, aren't they? They're not going anywhere. Oh, of course. And they're still review bombing certain things and doing other bits of production out there to try and peeve people off. But if the folk in charge aren't going to listen to it, then great. Yeah. And some of it's a bit questionable. So the starting from scratch thing, I totally get it. They really need to rethink these things. But there's a lot of baggage that comes with some of this stuff. The Henry Cavill thing has caused a bit of an uproar. And yeah, I'll accept someone new in the role of Superman, but I will also always be disappointed that we never quite got to see Henry Cavill rise to the potential that Mm. we know existed. Things like Jason Momoa being out as Aquaman, that's a huge mistake because he is largely responsible for a film about Aquaman making a billion dollars. Throwing that away isn't a great idea because you're not going to get an actor who is so indelibly connected to that character with audiences that will lap it up. That's just not going to happen. There's nobody out there that will equal Jason Momoa in inhabiting that character and appealing to audiences in the way that he did. And Gal Gadot, possibly a bit similar, as in she was well-liked as Wonder Woman. There's something a bit questionable about her politics and all this stuff, but as Wonder Woman, she was at least partially responsible for the first film making a lot of money. You can't judge the second film at all because they dumped it on HBO Max on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. It was probably the most highly pirated film on Christmas Day that year. So you could use that as a metric. Also, it's not that good, but at the same time, it may have done well had it come out in cinemas as normal, because it may have carried itself from the momentum of the first one, or maybe not, I don't know. But getting rid of some of these actors just seems to be a bit of a mistake in some ways, and the question remains around whether he's going to keep John Cena around as Peacemaker, because that's a James Gunn thing. James Gunn cast him, the Suicide Squad was his thing. So is he going to keep around every actor from the Suicide Squad that lived through that film, but dump everyone else, which seems a bit hypocritical if he does. Who knows? I think that's where this roadmap showing what's maybe legacy or what's part canon or what little shared universes there are out there. They seem to be saying that they're going to leave the Batman and Joker stuff alone. Yeah, they'll be in little pocket universes of their own. They're going to be in little pocket things and they might have their own Batman interacting with their own Superman. 
and maybe on a similar line, they may still have their Suicide Squad's corner of the universe that they're just leaving over there doing its thing because it's working fine doing its own thing. I don't think you're wrong about the casting. I think they did some very good casting out there. I think the thing that you said with Andrew Garfield and Henry Cavill and all that is 100% that the actors did a good job with what they were given, just in some cases what they were given was not very good. Or they did stuff out of sequence. I always come back to the fact that they ran to do a team-up movie earlier than they should have. I think you needed more investment in some of the characters in these things before you run off and do the team-up because then you're spending just too much time in the films trying to introduce and get around all your characters and pull them in together, and it just does massive pauses in the story in order to do that. But yeah, casting-wise, I feel it's a shame to throw out some of these casting choices, because you sit there and go, right, if you're going to recast right now, who are you going to be putting in there? Who are you going to fill Jason Momoa's shoes with? Who are you going to fill Gal Gadot's shoes with? Who are you going to find to be your next Superman? It's not an easy set of casting decisions in there, considering how many rotations of this stuff you've already been through and the fact that Marvel are also out there hiring different people to play superhero characters. There's only so many of these kind of actors, these status actors that are around. Yeah, and I think Superman and Batman and probably Wonder Woman are more replaceable in that sense than Aquaman is because they're iconic characters that people are used to seeing, or at least most people will probably be used to seeing readapted. Mm-hmm over and over again, so it's yeah, I'm okay with accepting a new actor in this role. But then you have Jason Momoa's Aquaman. That seems like a once-in-a-lifetime catch there. Yeah. <laughs> of the pun. But like I said, he indelibly connected himself to that character, and people just loved it. People just loved what he brought to the table when it came to playing that role. And his charisma is a part of why that film is as good as it is. And everyone knows that Aquaman is one of the heavily mocked characters in comics canon. And Jason Momoa rose above that. You're not going to get that again. Maybe there's another Jason Momoa-esque figure out there that can do the same thing, but I don't think so. I think you've got to go tonally different to achieve it. Or just not do it, I suppose. Just not have Aquaman involved. You've either got to ignore Aquaman and let some time pass and then you can go back to a similar-ish Aquaman, or you've got to do the I'm going to embrace the slightly sillier side of Aquaman. We don't know what the tone of a James Gunn DC Universe is going to be yet. I don't think it's particularly going to be down the Peacemaker side and I don't think it's going to be Guardians. I think it's going to be something that's tonally different in there. It's going to be some sort of middle ground that hasn't quite been invented yet for the DC Universe because I think if you go in and you do the gritty, grounded side of it, you're going to have problems again (laughs) because you limit the villains that you can do, you limit the characters that you can have interact because they just stop making sense together. And the thing is, you've still got some of these films to come out. You've still got a second Shazam to come out. You've still got a second Aquaman to come out. You've still got the Flash movie somehow coming out. (laughs) There's all these things that are still going to be getting released. And all of that is happening before the reset button gets hit in some way. I feel that I've got to reserve a bit of judgment on it until we see what the actual plan is. Because everything at the moment just seems to be getting announced by accident and on Twitter and through agents essentially announcing that their talent is now available again because they're not going to be doing these big movies. Which is why 
these announcements are happening is basically to go, Henry Cavill is available. Jason Momoa is available. Gal Gadot is available. Patty Jenkins is available to work on your project. That's the only reason that these things are coming out. Because everyone will be like, oh no, they're going to be far too busy with the DC stuff. But now it's, oh actually, they're free and clear. So if you've got your big project and you want Momoa in it, you've got your chance now. Yeah, the optics don't look great on them cancelling Wonder Woman 3 with female director Patty Jenkins, who always gets her films cancelled somehow. But the back of that was that when she put her announcement out the other day, she seemed to say that Rogue Squadron was maybe still going ahead. Still in development? Yeah, no chance. Rumours of this cancellation have been greatly exaggerated, where it was, yeah, I put that on the back burner because I wanted to do Wonder Woman 3 more than I wanted to do Rogue Squadron, but now that Wonder Woman 3 isn't happening, it means that I can pivot again. And then you had Marvel fans trying to fan cast Henry Cavill as Superman-esque Marvel characters. <laughs> have them play Sentry or Hyperion, they're <laughs> Superman-esque. I'm sure Henry Cavill's going to want to do that. Am I going to play the rip-off Superman character just at Marvel? That sounds like a great step forward from my career. No, I'm just going to do Warhammer. That sounds like something I want to do. It's the casting van that we always talk about. You bundle the actor in the van and that's who they are now. doesn't matter if they want to do it. There's the fan casting thing that goes around all the time. The other thing about the Henry Cavill news is the fact that he had also announced, oh, because of this, I'm going to be quitting The Witcher. But that seems more likely that there was other factors behind him leaving that i'm with you i think there was other factors at play of that but the way it sort of reads is oh i'm cancelling this because i'm going on to do that and then it turns out that that is then cancelled and you have now quit your other job and people are sort of reading it as that it probably seemed like an easy excuse at the time Mm. i can say that i left the witcher because superman's going to be keeping me so busy yeah there's something bigger that i'm doing over here so it means i've got to give this out but i don't know if he necessarily wanted to be tied to the witcher forever because I imagine that fills a lot of his schedule. And he's reportedly not very happy with it anyway, because it's not adapted in the way that he would prefer it to be. So apparently he's at odds with the writers on it a lot of the time. That's just conjecture at this point. It's never been officially confirmed, but there's lots of reports from insiders. You know, those insiders. <laughs> they never say who they are. They're just insiders. But they said that, that apparently Henry Cavill has been campaigning to get certain things added to the Witcher TV canon and they've just refused but he's the one that knows the books and these writers don't. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But one good thing has come from all this. Black Adam, gone. Not going ahead. <laughs> I think a lot of this was actually due to The Rock just trying to make things happen. And then eventually it just became clear that it's not happening. But he did make a statement about it because The Rock is nothing if not a PR juggernaut. So he said, and I'm just going to read it. My passionate friends, I wanted to give you a long-awaited Black Adam update regarding the character's future in the new DC universe. Long-awaited to who? Not to me, certainly. I don't really care. James Gunn and I connected, and Black Adam will not be in their first chapter of storytelling. However, DC and Siphon Bucks, a production company, I guess, have agreed to continue exploring the most valuable ways Black Adam can be utilised in future DC multiverse chapters. Yeah, I'm sure that's really happening. So yeah, yeah, we'll think about it. We'll get back to you. Don't call us. We'll call you, Dwayne. James and I have known each other for years and have always rooted for each other to succeed. It's no different now, and I will always root for DC and Marvel to win and win big. You guys know me. I have very thick skin, and you can always count on me to be direct with my words. These decisions made by James and DC leadership represent their vision of the DCU through their creative lens. After 15 years of relentless hard work to finally make Black Adam, I'm very proud of the film we delivered for fans worldwide. I always look back on the fan reaction to Black Adam with tremendous gratitude, humility, and love. We did great. 
To my very passionate and vocal Black Adam slash superhero genre fans, I love you, thank you, and I will always listen to you and do my best to deliver and entertain you. What a hell of a month. Now we all need some Terramana, whatever that is. Have a productive week and happy holidays to you and your families. That is a saving face statement if I ever saw one. Yeah, it's obviously not done as well as he wanted it to, but the tone of the statements that have been coming out so far about the way this universe is going is it doesn't matter how well the films are doing. Of all the ones that are coming out, Black Adam, any of the others, that's not going to change the way that they're planning to do this direction. And James Gunn saying, yeah, there might be Black Adam in the future. Yeah, of course there might be. It would be like Feige saying there will be no Spider-Man in the future, honest. I believe you, honest, Kevin. We will not be doing anything with Hulk in the future. Yeah, sure. What, an infinite time there will be no new content about the Hulk. Sure. It's that sort of thing. The film did not do good enough to immediately green light a weird sequel, especially not in the state that the universe is in at the moment. The thing is, it's been getting talked about. The Rock's been promoting it for ages. Ages. I feel like we have been talking about Black Adam since time began. Oh yeah. It's one of those ones where you're like, this has been talked about for so long, it's ended up being a disappointment when it came out. I thought the film itself was fine. I enjoyed myself. It was ridiculous. It was fine. You don't want to see another six of these, do you? I do not want to see six of them. I do not want Black Adam to be the cornerstone of a new universe. I could do without. Yeah, definitely. And it's not interesting, but it's kind of bizarre, some of the stuff that's come out on the back of this. Obviously, the reboot is definitely happening. And then people talking about, well, what about these four films that are coming out next year? We have Shazam 2, we have Aquaman 2, we have Blue Beetle, and we have The Flash, supposedly all releasing next year. And people are saying, well, what's the point in watching these then? Well, yeah, there's probably not going to be a sequel to any of them, but they might be worth watching in their own right. Yeah. Give that a go. Do you only go see films where you're promised 100 sequels? Is that all you do? Because that's pretty sad. Yeah, it's absolutely fine if this is the end of this particular run or this franchise or this storytelling. As long as the films themselves are fine, then I've got no problem. My only request would be that if there's any time of any of these films that is spent trying to set up stuff that is now never going to happen ever, 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 so any post-credit teases of nonsense or gratuitous cameos by characters that mean absolutely nothing to those films and are only there for whatever follow-up you were maybe planning originally, edit them out. (laughs) Delete. They are gone. I think some of those are going to be cut. There's a lot of stuff getting cut from The Flash for that reason. Yeah, I'm really hoping that they are going through with the razor and cutting out the frames, the shots, the bits and the gratuitous stuff that does not need to be there because there's absolutely no point in having free post-credit sting teases on Shazam for stuff that isn't going to happen or for Aquaman that isn't going to happen. The Flash was already some sort of cameo-ridden megalith, whatever it is. It was already going to be a bit of a horror with that. (laughs) So go through with the scissors and cut that stuff out. You've got the time to do it, and it's easier to cut out than it is to cut in. I would heavily ask the filmmakers to do that, unless it's going to massively destroy your story by doing so. Use common sense. Yeah, imagine cutting Michael Keaton from The Flash, for example, would crater the story in some way. Yeah, if it's going to crater the flow of the film and it's going to suddenly make absolutely no sense because you've cut this section out, then fine. But if the only reason the section was there to begin with was just to tease blah 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 
and blah 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 isn't happening then take it out we don't need three hour long films if it can be cut down by half an hour by getting rid of some of that stuff and all it does is it leaves audiences with the oh well we could have had look what they teased here where we could have had this we could have had that we could have had the other thing similar to what they did with a full-blown snyder cut release where it was just riddled with oh we could have done this oh we could have done that next oh we could have done yeah but you're not so why is it here but also the people talking about why would i bother going to see these films then well box office receipts make a difference so if you want to continue seeing zachary levi as shazam the best way to do that is to buy a ticket to the film because if that film makes a lot of money then dc might look at that and say we want to keep Zachary Levi around. Let's keep him in this role. And maybe the same will happen with Jason Momoa. I don't know. Maybe it won't. I've always predicted that when the Flash film comes out, people will come out of the film probably praising the new Supergirl that's in it, Sasha Kelly. And it doesn't look like she'll get much to do, if anything, after this. But it could be one of those things that if people buy tickets to go and see these films and they come out praising certain aspects of it. And that's reflected in the box office receipts as well. They will take notice of that, and they'll think about whether it's worth incorporating these people. I definitely think there is the chance of it. As much as I said earlier on, I don't think that they will read tons into it. You've got more of a chance with a film like Shazam, where the character, well, as far as the first Shazam film goes, has not been really tightly pegged to a particular canon at that point. I mean, he's in the universe, but it kind of has fun with it. He's in the universe, but you've not really put him next to umpteen other characters and tied him into the mythos of others yet. There's little cameos at the end. So depending on what they do in the next film, almost seals its fate, where if it's tied too closely to the existing canon, they'll be like, well, we're going to struggle to put this thing next to that thing. I doubt it will be, though. I think it's going to be doing its own thing with the old gods or whatever it is that they're bringing out. Yeah, exactly. And with Aquaman, you've kind of got the problem where you go, okay, if we're saying that Aquaman is canon in the new one, how do we tie that through? And I think one of the interesting test pilots for that kind of thing is actually going to be Daredevil on the other universe. (laughs) Because that is a case where you are bringing a piece of heritage casting from a completely different production into your new universe and trying to make it all fit. So... I think DC will definitely be looking at how that works to see how it plays out and whether they might do similar with some of their casting. I think with the Flash movie, by the nature of what they're trying to do in the Flash movie, I think it does leave possibilities in place. If there are particular cast members that do well in their roles, they might try and pull them in. But again, you need to see that roadmap where they go, this is in a bubble, that's in a bubble, this is in a thing, and Flash is going to smash this to pieces and then we do our thing. Well, remember in the Flash TV show when they brought Mark Hamill in as the trickster, which is the character he played in the 90s Mm. TV show, but it's not the character from the 90s TV show. Yeah. It's the same character, but it's that universe's version of that same character just happens to be played by the same actor, which is essentially what's happening with Daredevil. And I think audiences would just go with it if you just brought in some of the actors that were there before, but it's a completely different version. You're practically doing that with Superman anyway, or that was the plan. As in, after the Joss Whedon Justice League, it's, well, he's a bit more like Christopher Reeve now. And then you get him in the Black Adam post credit scene, and I imagine they were just going to pick up at some random point and say, this is who this guy is now, and we'll just go with it. So I could see them just chopping and changing and doing it. But anybody that says, well, there's no point in seeing this because it's not going to go anywhere, 
Well, if you buy a ticket, then they're going to listen to that. DC would shoot you if someone convinced them it would make them money. Like I said before, my thing is, go and see it because it might be a good film. That's the whole thing. If it's not going to go and spin off into 20 other films and play into canon that lasts for decades afterwards, I don't really mind as much as long as I have a good time when I go and see the film. Yeah, and then the fact that it makes a billion dollars or whatever might ensure the continuity of some of those actors. There's only one way to find out. But like I said, if I made a case to DC with spreadsheets and some kind of chart that said, if you shoot Chris McCrell in the face with a gun, you will make a billion dollars, they would do it <laughs> because that's all they care about. Or that's all people at certain levels care about. What James Gunn and his producing partner have to do is they have to come up with a plan and they have to present it in a way to the higher ups that says, this will make money. And here's why. That reminds me, I've really got to talk to you about your spreadsheet. <laughs> what, making a case for getting people shot at spreadsheets? It's a bit disturbing and I don't like it. And also you shouldn't have shared it with me on Google Drive. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so who knows what's happening. We'll get some announcements early in the new year, apparently. So we'll probably talk about it next month with whoever. Reportedly, one of the cancelled projects is a Batman Beyond movie where Michael Keaton was going to be the old Bruce Wayne teaching Terry McGuinness how to be Batman much like the animated TV show, which is a shame to lose in it. That would have been so good, or could have been so good. I like the Batman Beyond TV series. I think in the UK it was badged as Batman of the Future. I would need to take your word on that. I'm not too sure. It was a good show. I don't know if you ever saw it. No, I didn't, unfortunately. But Michael Keaton seems out. He's recorded a lot of Batman footage that we'll never see, apparently. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Again, it's one of those ones where you hear about the project and you go, I'd love these interesting little one-offs. That's why I would kind of like for them to announce, okay, this is our steady canon and these are legends, stories, tales, whatever they're wanting, multiverse rules or whatever so that they can make some of these interesting ones, because they seem to be making room for stuff that's already in the pipeline. It seems a shame to be cheated out of those kind of ones. Yeah, it is a shame. Anyway, that's that mess discussed, I guess. We have an actual synopsis for Blue Beetle, which is one of the films that's coming out next year. Recent college grad Jaime Reyes returns home full of aspirations for his future, only to find that his home is not quite as he left it. As he searches to find his purpose in the world, fate intervenes when Jaime unexpectedly finds himself in possession of an ancient relic of alien biotechnology, the Scarab. When the Scarab suddenly chooses Jaime to be its symbiotic host, he is bestowed with an incredible suit of armour, capable of extraordinary and unpredictable powers, forever changing his destiny as he becomes a superhero blue beetle. It's a bit like Venom meets Iron Man, the blue beetle story. I'm in. <laughs> I don't know a lot about Blue Beetle. It's one of the many gaps in my DC knowledge. Yeah, it sounds interesting. He was in an episode of Smallville in the 10th season. I genuinely can't remember. I will take your word for it. I have watched Smallville, but I can't remember Blue Beetle. <laughs> Sorry, Blue Beetle. <laughs> I'm sure you were great. But yeah, it sounds an interesting story. It's an interesting concept, so yeah. yeah. Plus he's a non-white lead in one of these things, and it's actually getting released, so that's good. I think this probably has one of the higher chances of sticking around, because it's probably built as a kind of standalone thing that you could slot in anywhere. Yeah, definitely has that chance. We'll see. But that's the synopsis, so we'll see how that shapes out. It's out next year or this year, as if you're listening. Let's move on to the CW, which is basically just DC as well. But on the CW, I'd still make the distinction, because I do. I have no reason why. The first thing is, Superman and Lois is going to be casting a new Lex Luthor, and John Cryer confirms it's not him. I think he tweeted that him and Henry Cavill need to go for a drink, because this happened around <laughs> about the same time. Not much is known about the context of this Lex Luthor's appearance, but he's going to be in it, and seems fine. It's a name that's rattled off in the same breath as Superman a lot of the time, so it makes sense to address that. And since they confirmed at the end of season two that it's not in the same universe, 
as the Arrowverse, they've got the freedom to pick and choose which actors they want to keep and drop. So they obviously have a decision to make on what their Lex is going to be in the context of their universe. And I know we recently got uh, Lex Luthor in Titans as well, so it probably won't be him. Yeah, I'm going to guess not. Titans was one of the ones that I forgot to mention in what we're currently watching section, because it's currently on its mid-season hiatus. They've done a Lex Luthor thing in there, but not over the top. So not too much Lex Luthor in there without going into spoiler territory. I'm well known on this podcast for having a deep hatred of Lex Luthor. (laughs) (laughs) More because of the way the character is written a lot of the time rather than any of the actual portrayals of him. It's inevitable that when you have a Superman show, eventually Lex Luthor's going to show up. He's the Superman villain, isn't he? So yeah, it was inevitable. I'm guessing it's going to be a way different take because you're further on in Superman's career here so I'm not really expecting a Lex who's plotting and scheming to find out who Superman is even but I don't know what they're going to do with it I'm interested just to see how their take works but Lex Luthor, I kind of would have rather that they didn't. The Titans actor is Titus Welliver who was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Star Trek and things I've been told he's more Clancy Brown than Gene Hackman. He's that calculating sinister businessman type, which is usually yeah. my favourite type of Lex Luthor. I quite like that portrayal of him. But Superman and Lois, it could go either way. The show has implied that Clark's fought Lex Luthor in various ways before, so it could be anything. We know that in Supergirl they had the Lexo suits and things like that, but that's not canon to this universe, so who knows anymore. But yeah, I'll be interested to see who they get and what they do with it in the show. Yeah, they're doing their own thing. I think it would have been a bit confusing maybe to throw John Cryer in there after announcing it's a different universe, it's a different thing, and then going, oh, actually, we've not really cast the net that far. We've went for the guy that we used before. (laughs) But he's different this time. Yeah, I suspect that keeping the original Lucy Lane in that show from Supergirl was a decision that was made before they decided it's a different universe. Yeah, they very much, as we've discussed before, tried to leave it ambiguous and ended up making a bit of a mess of that, where if they just went right away, yeah, we're doing a different universe, I think they could have saved themselves a lot of heartache, really. Yeah, we'll see. He'll turn up in season three, which will probably be the final season of the show, unfortunately. We'll see how it goes. Moving on to the final season of The Flash. There was a trailer for it. I didn't really see the need to talk about it because it isn't really anything. It just confirms that the characters know that this is their last run. They know that things are coming to an end somehow. (laughs) So it's one of those final seasons. You get the final seasons where the characters don't know that there's a finality to what they're doing. And you get the ones where they're clearly building up to an end point and everyone knows that their lives are about to change significantly. You get those two types of final seasons. And The Flash very much looks to be the, we know this is ending soon and we're going to spend every episode talking about how we know how this is ending soon. It'll be a bit like with Crisis, where every episode they said, we know that Crisis is coming. Why isn't it here yet? (laughs) Instead, we have to sit through all these uninteresting episodes until Crisis happens. Great. So it could be that we have to sit through 13 episodes of uninteresting stuff until it finally ends, which is most likely, because I will refer to that video that I found from the Warp Zone from the Flash writer's room, which is always a delight (laughs) to watch. It's very funny. The other bit of news that is more significant is that Dreamer is coming to the Flash. Nicole Maines is going to be appearing in an episode. The showrunner said that he's very excited to get Nicole Maines on the show, where he gets to cross off one of his Arrowverse bucket list team-ups, having two fantastic reporters, Iris and Nia, investigate their own very bizarre and frightening mystery. I'm not believing that Iris and Nia is on anybody's 
I can't wait to see those two <laughs> characters together. But maybe it is. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Nicely written for the PR, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I like Nia, and it'll be great to see her again in this. I really wish they'd managed to pull off getting Kara back for an episode. Because it was always at his best when those two were interacting. They might have the potential to throw that kind of thing in. You never know what they're going to pull out in this final season because it seems like it's kind of going to be a farewell tour for that Arrowverse. So I imagine it's going to be riddled with little appearances from certain people to tick off the they've been here at the end sort of routine. Yeah, appearing, I'm fine with that. I kind of gave up on The Flash a while ago. And I never really finished Supergirl either, so <laughs> I don't have much to say on this. The Flash lost me a, a long, long time ago. <laughs> it just became a bit much. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, well, it was the final season. Should I just make an effort just to, <laughs> to tick it <laughs> off the list? But I think I would start and then I wouldn't finish. <laughs> you also have a lot of guff to sit through as well. Exactly. I ain't got enough time for that. Another thing, it was announced a while ago, but Javicia Leslie, who plays the second Batwoman in Batwoman, a show that also got unceremoniously cancelled, will be appearing as Red Death in the final season of The Flash. Red Death is, in the comics, essentially Batman, but evil and with super speed. (laughs) So for this, it's going to be Batwoman, but evil with super speed. (laughs) I love it. It's nice to see The Flash is moving away from speedster villains. Yeah, I don't want any other speedster villains. I change tack now. Yeah. There's no point. Uh, We all know what we're in for here. I'm just hoping that when you review it, you're returning your Where's Wally segment. Well, I'm hoping for a Wally appearance. Nah, I had to retire that when it's clear that he's never showing up ever again. I think it should return for the final season. (laughs) He was mentioned last season, once. There you go. But no, I'm not writing a segment just saying, Wally's not here and will never be here every week. Maybe I could do it as a Twitter thing. Where's Wally? Nowhere. Not in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I am going to approach Aaron and hope he doesn't shoot me in his quest to make the universe a worse place to talk about Warhammer 40k so you can go and hide or whatever it is you do while I do that. Yeah, I'll hide again. Apparently that's what I do. Aaron, that's got to be your most epic entrance yet of all of these. So, well done. Well, I've got to warn you, when anybody turns up in Space Marine armour, they have to destroy several things around them. So if you're the only thing in the room at the moment, I'm afraid you're in trouble. I think I just need to ask you, what's your connection to chaos? Do you have any? Warning, the correct answer is no. Well, I have a cat, so... Some yeah. connection to chaos? You can be chaotic. Again, you've got to watch this because just with that admission, I'm probably required to exterminate you. Well, that's not good. I'm no. regretting asking you to appear now. It's a difficult world, this. You've just strayed into a very difficult place. If you haven't guessed based on that interchange, the thing that Aaron is here to talk about is the fact that a Warhammer 40k live-action adaptation is getting made with Henry Cavill taking on the lead role, one would assume. Everyone seems to be scrambling to try and find Henry Cavill a job at the moment, and he's now found one in this. He's found himself a job, eh? (laughs) They'll actually find it very difficult to get him to sign up to their own stuff anymore, anybody that's got an idea, because he's now got the money and the power to say, nope. 
I've got a whole mess of stuff I want to do now and the means to do it. He will have control over this, which they couldn't even give him with The Witcher. So he won't have those previous problems anymore. And I can't imagine any person would say, oh, yeah, I'd really like to go back to one that I don't have control over. Yeah, the control or lack thereof is rumoured to be the reason he actually left The Witcher rather than the I'm going to be Superman again thing, which ended up not happening. That was a fact for about a week and then completely thrown out the window. Will we ever know the truth? I could believe the Witcher thing, though, because it's something that was always advertised as so very meaningful to him that that would be really difficult to step back from. Fair play to his professionalism if he said, look, I will do this and I'll fulfill my contract, but it's still going to always come down to that point. Well, I've fulfilled my contract now and you've not given me a reason to like it here, so bye. I can leave now, so I am. Yeah, that's just it. Warhammer 40k, I don't know an awful lot about it. All I know is from people that I knew that like to paint the models and you do some kind of game where you fight those models against other people's models. I would never try and paint the models because my hands are not built for delicate, small model painting. It's much bigger than that now. That is still a massive part of it, the miniatures battles. But... It's now something that's expanded into tabletop RPG, board games. There have been in its history card games, card games always being popular at some point, so there have definitely been those. I was curious about this. I've never really gotten steep into this, but I read the lore because it's one of those traps for geeks whereby (laughs) there's so much lore and I must know it. I must know what happened and when, but every time I start to dip my toe into it, I realize just exactly how much law there is. And if you want to know it, in quotation marks, then you've got to put in a lot of time. So I, I dip my toe in now and again. I read about various things, get interested, and then think, I don't have time for this because it's just so massive. But you're right, the miniatures are still a part of it. And Cavill's connection to it, of course, does come through the miniatures. You must have seen at least one YouTube video where he's holding up something he himself has put together and painted. Yeah, I know that he's heavy into all that. And whenever he talks in interviews and things, he's always talking about the gaming that he gets into and mm. how he was playing tabletop RPGs online under assumed names so that no one would know it was him. So maybe people listening have played against Henry Cavill and not known it. That's the biggest thing about all of this, though. He is just this frightening person that you occasionally met when you were going through school, that guy who just was able to do everything. (laughs) I've gotten, hopefully, past my bitterness that I had as a kid about all that To now just look at him and go, yep, if I ever had to pick somebody to be my god, maybe I think it would be Henry Cavill. (laughs) As pleasing it is to get a quick laugh out of that, I will also say, by the way, that is actually an on-topic comment for our discussion here. If you want to pursue any religious connections, Warhammer 40k does have them, and I think that's certainly something we should talk about. But you tell me where you want to go. So as I understand it, you had Warhammer, which was your standard Lord of the Rings-esque era stuff, and 40k is your sci-fi, like orcs and space and things. Yeah, it started with fantasy battles, and I can't quite remember if it's 1970s or 1980s, but just at that sort of time, when everything was kicking off, Dungeons & Dragons being one of the big rivals for Warhammer. So it starts off with that Lord of the Rings seed, and they develop it, and you get your fantasy battles with your elves and your orcs and so forth. They put their own spin on it, to be fair, even though it is undeniable that both Warhammer and D&D are derived from Tolkien. 
to be fair to Warhammer, because that's what we're talking about, it did say, right, but what do we want to do with it? And they did spin it out into something that is heavily based in political and social satire, which is something that everybody is now saying, are we going to get this from this show or not? That's your biggest talking point. But then, as you say, it moved from the fantasy into a science fiction setting. And so Warhammer 40,000, they've set it in year 40,000 of planet Earth. It is ridiculously far into the future. Is it kind of the future of the Warhammer world where orcs and elves and things exist? I believe that they're two separate things, that Warhammer fantasy is its own universe, whereas Warhammer 40k takes our world, our science world, and then expands it into a science fiction thing. They are intricately linked. I mean, that can be corrected in the comments. Everybody wants to write on the side, but you'd be better off thinking of them as alternate universes where one of them is where fantasy-dominated medieval and, and Renaissance Europe, where the other one is there was a normal, in line with our own world, world history, but then there's 40 years of science fiction lore that developed it into the state that it's currently in. You mean 40,000 years? Yeah, 40,000. <laughs> don't even remember what I said. 40 years, that's like 20 years from now. 40 years is not enough, sorry, yeah, 40,000 years. All right, cool. I suppose it never occurred to me that they were either in the same universe or not, and I imagine it probably depends on what rule set you're playing with anyway when you fire up a game. Well, the thing of it is, everything's been evolved over time now if you want i can give you a link for the show notes for a guy on youtube who can give people all of the lore and history they want in these little bite-sized chunks okay he talks about various things and also the evolution of the game through its various editions i want to say that the warhammer 40k miniatures game is onto something like its eighth or ninth edition now so it's evolved a lot and changed over time and lore has been filled in and other lore has been lost and forgotten and that unreliable narrator has been used quite heavily to allow them to update things and one of the other talking points that again we could totally get onto if you want it or not you choose is are we going to use the unreliable narrator to undo various decisions from an earlier our world that would correct things like the gender balance in the storytelling to modern sensibilities. That's like a massive topic online at the moment. Yeah, interesting. The only real connection I've got to it is I know people that used to play it. I don't know if it still exists, but there is or was a shop called the Games Workshop. Oh, yeah. And every time you went within a few feet of the front door, there'd be someone trying to corral you in to paint a model in hopes of selling you some very expensive packs of stuff that you could then continue to make that is still a massive part of the hobby and one of the reasons it's managed to carry on in that vein is because we've all grown up now there Hmm. used to be a bunch of kids and teenage geeks who would gather together their paper round money they're working in the shop on the weekend money and go and buy the odd piece here and there and slowly build up an army Whereas now these geeks like myself, we've grown up and gotten hopefully reasonably good jobs. And we suddenly have this thing called disposable income. 
<laughs> what are you going to spend that on? And everybody gets their choice. And the thing of it is, we can now afford these miniatures. It can still be a massively expensive hobby that is never going to go away. Yeah. But you can take advantage of disposable income. You can get the plastics instead of the metal. You can play without painting if you don't want to. And, and you can make whatever compromise you want to try and save a bit of money and time. But I think there is a massive crowd now of people all across the world, not even just the original America that can now afford to really play this hobby. And of course, it's received an even bigger hit. The amount of people on YouTube now saying, Henry Cavill said he wants to play the Imperial Guard. All of a sudden, there's a bajillion videos on how you can play the Imperial Guard like Henry Cavill. <laughs> Massive excitement going around. I imagine sales of those uh, that particular faction in the background skyrocketed as soon as he showed one that he painted in silver and gold all of a sudden oh yeah fuck, well, that. so the imperial guard what is that and you mentioned a bit of social commentary in the game itself this is the big question i think well there's the two big questions but the one that really came to the before first on YouTube was, will they get this right? Warhammer 40k is something that would be so easy to turn into a hero bashes the bad guys and make it completely uninteresting because it will just be the same science fiction action show you've already seen. It will just be big military guys bash the evil monsters and win. And if they do that, that will be a colossal failure to understand the background and what brings a lot of people to, to it beyond, obviously, the tactical war game. Yeah. I'm going to have to give you the massively abridged version and then get you to go and look at the lore. I want anybody who's listening to go and look at the lore afterwards if they want it because, they say, it's just too huge. When they created Warhammer, the whole point was to be a massive satire on right-wing politics and the big religions that are institutions unto themselves and have done damage to the world because they've forgotten their original message to help people and they've become institutional power blocks by themselves. There is a word for that. For some reason, I just can't get to it. There's a memory blank. You'll be sitting there 10 minutes after this recording and be like, that's the word. Yeah, that's crazy. It's such a common phrase. There'll be people listening now going, it's this, you idiot. <laughs> but there is that satire. This whole background is based on going 40,000 years into the future, fighting through numerous problems that the world has. So you've got things like lack of resources. What do you do when there's just not enough to go around. What do you do when you encounter an alien species, which is going to be simply a metaphor for what do you do when you encounter politics with other countries? What do you do when you've got immigration? All of these problems that have been an issue for not even just decades, they've always been a problem for a large political unit, often an empire, when it has to, oh, we want your stuff. Can we have it? Oh, no. Oh, maybe we'll send in some soldiers to see if that will change your mind. See, these problems are being dealt with. But what happens when the solution to that problem is unpleasant and someone says we're going to use heavy-handed politics or military or even trying to persuade people through culture and religion? You should want to give us that and you should want to join up with our side because we're better. Then put that through some sort of science fiction grinder of tens of thousands of years of people losing control such that when you've run out of resources you know people are going to fight when you've got two people with different ideologies coming up against each other saying we're right no i'm right they're going to fight 
that causes cataclysms and problems throughout. And what you're left with, if you haven't put in a lot of effort and really controlled yourself, is potentially an awful country, world, or in this case, galaxy, whereby might is right, my ideology is the best, and anybody that disagrees with that is just going to be shot down and destroyed. And you can, in theory, of course, have an emperor who is in charge of that. Now, because this has developed over many years, there's other complications. In this particular case, in the background, the emperor has been, to some degree, disabled and is not able to even stabilize their empire in the face of continuous problems going on. So if you wanted to, and I'm not saying that you should do this, but if you wanted to, you could take a modern country that is currently potentially under control by an autocrat, or maybe a country that thinks it should be controlled by an autocrat, who might be looking at its own borders thinking... I don't like my own borders that they are. I think they should be changed to some degree. Or even even if you don't want to pick the one that I'm hinting at heavily and you go over to America and just say, what if America got that autocrat? Somebody almost got in. Somebody almost caused the fall of the White House and might have used their way to suddenly get favorable trade conditions and do an economic war. You could take some sort of setup in the modern world and say, What if this went to its ultimate extreme and these would be the problems that could come out of it if it became truly awful? So the whole point is, will they give us Warhammer 40,000 that is going to show us what the problems of leaning heavily into a nationalistic state with an institutionalized religion that is intricately intertwined with every single facet of daily existence and technological progress. And it's supposed to be a massive dystopia that is in theory a warning. Now they've taken it to an extreme because when you see what we hope you will see, you will find it horrifying, absolutely awful to be in there. There are no good parts to being in Warhammer 40,000's universe. If you are lucky, you get to live on a planet, on a farm, that everybody else has forgotten. That's the best (laughs) you can do, is not be noticed by anybody. Everywhere else, you should just assume it's awful. And they don't have to make it really grim and horrid to the extent that I would like. I think they could still try and make it a bit more accessible, tone it down a bit so that you would watch as well as me. But if they didn't make it a bit grim and a bit horrible, then it wouldn't be good satire on how things can go horribly wrong. So I don't know. I've not heard Henry Cavill talk on this, and I think I'd really like to. Well, that'll come. It's in the very early stages. He probably hasn't fully signed up for it as of yet. They're probably still negotiating all that. And... If he's wanting a producer credit, which it sounds like he is, he'll probably be pushing for a lot of this stuff. And also on top of that, the stuff you've mentioned is all very hot button modern issues anyway. And that's what good sci-fi does is it holds up a mirror to the world that it's created in and says, well, here's everything that is happening to you now, but way worse in hundreds or thousands of years or way better in hundreds or thousands of years, depending on what sci-fi thing you're looking at. But the dystopian approach is still in vogue at the moment isn't it there's still a lot of dystopian sci-fi coming out so this almost sounds like the ultimate dystopia yes on purpose and there is a reason somebody in history who i cannot name because 
of clearly uneducated, but there's somebody in history who said it's very difficult to tell a story through a utopia. Isn't there actually a story originally called utopia? And that's where the word comes from. And the whole point of that story is to show you how boring it would be. And then that leads us, obviously, to the idea that dystopia is therefore a logical way of telling stories. So I don't think that will ever vanish. But yes, it is going to lean heavily into that if they want to capture it this properly. Yeah, and you get Star Trek, which is a utopian future, but as it's went on, they've started to show the cracks in that utopia and the sacrifices that need to be made or the things that need to be ignored in order to maintain it. Yeah, Star Trek, though, the Federation is supposed to be a utopia. It's more that in the original stories, they didn't have the cracks. It's more that to get your interesting stories, we had to go and explore outside the Federation. And that's where you saw how horrible it could get in the world. Nobody ever went to planet Earth and said, what are you doing? We're having a good time because we're really happy and there's loads of resources. Oh, really? We'll just join in then, shall we? (laughs) cut to credits. Did you ever really get any Star Trek inside the Federation? I don't think you did. They always had to find the weirdos outside of it. If you watch Deep Space Nine, there's a lot of non-Federation characters in that, and they get to comment on the Federation with an outside perspective. So you do get it. Is that more of a modern thing then, because people don't find that utopia is believable anymore, I wonder? Well, Deep Space Nine was the 90s, early 2000s. I suppose it was. I wouldn't call that modern. No, but if you're going to say, oh, let's look at the Kardashians, weren't they horrible? You've seen nothing. The Kardashians, Kardashians? The Kardashians are going to be pleasant little bunnies compared to what you're going to see in the Imperium. So do you think Henry Cavill will be in charge of this awful society? Rumour has it, and by rumour I mean some dudes have just thought about this and come up with it, that he's going to want to play one of the commanders in the Imperial Guard, which is as close as you're going to get to the Emperor because the Emperor is effectively completely disabled and no longer a character that you can do anything with. But that's part of the background. There is no longer one person who can turn up and say, right, everybody get in line. And that's on purpose because if you could have somebody coming in as Deus Ex Machina, which again, using the word God is pretty much on topic, is almost hailed as a God, as the Emperor. But without having this Deus Ex Machina that can come in and solve the problems, then you're guaranteed to have battles between ideologies. So he won't be somebody who can ever rally the galaxy behind him. He's not going to be able to be that figure from June of Paul Atreides. He's going to be potentially a hero, potentially somebody who is striving to do that, But he should not have anywhere near the power to do it. He should only be someone who can rally those people around him. But Warhammer's massive. He could potentially rally some planets to his cause because it is the entire galaxy. But even if they give you those numbers that seem really large, oh, he's got four planets aligned with him. It should still pale into insignificance compared to how many planets are there in a galaxy. It should always be relatively small. It's an interesting one because... If they stick with Warhammer as it is, he cannot save the universe. And this is an interesting thing for me personally. It's one of the things I wanted to talk about. You go into Marvel now. If you are a Marvel superhero and you cannot save the universe, you are going to be laughed at by your fellow heroes. Nobody's going to pay attention to you and they're going to call you a D-list superhero at best. You're not going to get to invited all the parties. You can only save a continent with your powers. What use are you? We face Thanos. And we're going up from here. We're going up to Kang. 
we're not coming down. Again, you gave a wallet back to a man on the street. That's what the police are for. Go away. You're boring. There's this big thing where you have to save the universe or your plot, your story is irrelevant. I really hate that. I want to see and always enjoy seeing something a bit more personal. Or if you saved a ship full of people, oh, I saved 50 people from death. Great. 50 people, 50 lives, 50 people who could have children and go on into the future. That is a massive deal. And it should be important. I think with Warhammer that... If they have him saving the universe, everybody will just go, well, anybody who knows the background will just go, you what? That's actually not possible. And it's contrary to the purpose of the background. It's just too big. It's too messy. It's too horrible. There's too many ideologies. Even the emperor of the universe did his best and failed to unite everyone under one banner. So if, if some random soldier comes up and does it, it's going to seem a bit ridiculous. Now, that's not necessarily important for the rest of the watching public who don't know the lore, but I think it still has the danger of being very boring, that he just defeats the four great chaos entities and he somehow manages to get all these ideologues in line and everybody that's corrupted, he heals them. The shopping list would be so large, it would have to be this colossal 100-hour film. Maybe they'll do that over several films or a TV series, who knows? But it should be ridiculous, and therefore, I do wonder what he'll do. Maybe he does save a planet. Maybe he does defeat one bad guy. That should be fine, as long as, of course, they can give it an emotional, meaningful plot. It sounds like it runs the risk of getting buried under itself in terms of just how much scope there is. Because if you do that kind of storytelling badly, then it starts to all feel meaningless? Why are we mm. focusing on this story when it makes no difference? Like you said, it's impossible to save the universe, so why are we focusing on this? There's that analogy, you save a starfish on a beach, you see a bunch of beach starfish and you throw one into the sea and it's, well, what difference does that make? Well, it made a difference to that yeah. one and then it gets eaten by a shark well, or something. You, yeah, you can't worry about that. There's a line from Angel that has always stuck with me over these years of all the places to get one of your own personal ideologies from. At one point in the second season, I think Angel says something like, I've just realized that what we do doesn't matter. And the person he's talking to, which is the policewoman that vanishes and you never see her again, gets really disheartened. And he says, no, 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 that's actually not a bad thing. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. And that describes Warhammer almost perfectly nothing you do matters you cannot save the universe the universe is screwed there's just no way you can fix it so all that really matters as a character in that universe is to realize that and then decide how you can make sure you don't fall to evil and corruption and that your actions do make individual things better because the perversity of that of course is if everybody turned around and realized that of course, the universe would then suddenly be fixed by itself. So <laughs> you can't do it. But if everybody didn't do it and just lived better, we'd all be better off. I kind of would like to see Henry Cavill's character come to some similar realization. I cannot defeat the four big chaos lords. I cannot take down all the evil political and religious leaders that are ruining the lives of the people. But if I go over there to that one town and I convince them, or if I save them, or if I do something good with them, then I've made this one corner of this galaxy better. And that alone is worth doing. 
And that could be the realization towards the end of this first film where this character gets this achievement and feels good and everybody's grateful. And if they want, they can span up in the end credits to say, okay, town, continent, world, galaxy, oh my God, that was just a drop in the ocean. So they can still give you that sense of hopelessness that's in the background if they want, like a good old 1970s zombie flick. But I want his character to go through that realization and the head of the Imperial Guard, I think, is well-placed to do that because the Imperial Guard used to just guard the Emperor, but things are so desperate that they are now being sent out on missions. They have to do things, and he's going to find himself out in the galaxy having to make something better. And that seems like that perfect realization then. Oh, my God, yeah, I can't save the galaxy. Oh, it's too big. I didn't even realize, but I can do this. We'll see. Yeah, and then your focus needs to be on the personal impact of those actions and how they make a difference to this group of people while still highlighting how screwed the rest of the universe is. But at least these people are a little bit better off, and that's better than nothing. Yeah, and that should be meaningful and powerful. That whole idea of a light in the darkness is a very powerful story. It's accessible to them very easily, I think. Yeah, it's like with charities. No single charity is going to be able to feed everybody. Mm -hmm. You can feed some people, so less people are hungry than they were a day ago. And that's worth doing. Yeah. You've made that much better, absolutely. The other side of that argument is there's no point in doing anything because you'll never be able to help everybody, so just leave everybody to suffer. Oh, absolutely. And I have always hated any of those arguments. I first encountered that once as a young student where I met some woman who said, I am never going to have children. Who could possibly bring children in such a horrible world as this? And my mind reeled against that because it's such a small-minded approach to things. It misses those points that you've just talked about, even if just with the idea of, well, who do you think is going to make it better? But I think a certain amount of nihilism was fashionable when I was a student and may have always (laughs) been at all decades of being a student, actually. I don't know. Yeah, it's fashionable now because look at the growth in post-apocalyptic, bleak future stuff that Mm. we've had in the past few years. It seems to be involved to just depress people. Yeah. If you ever want to get rounded, by the way, look up Hans Rosling. He's passed on now, but his son carries on his work. He gives you stats for the world. And it's something that's quite heartening to look at now and again, and I sometimes do, because he asks these questions his audiences when he, he does his presentations about how good or bad the world is are there now more wars or less wars than any time in the past and people always say there's more wars and he puts up the stats and there are less because it's just that you know about more of them through the news are young girls across the world more or less educated than they used to be and everybody says oh it's definitely worse young girls are educated a lot less they keep seeing things on the news telling me how women are oppressed And I'm not trying to say they haven't been, but when you see the numbers, more girls are being educated to a higher age than ever before. You don't believe it because you're watching news coming out of certain parts, certain countries of the world right now. So it seems harder to see it, but it's just heartening to see it. So look up Hans Roslin and get some feel good from the real world. Don't listen to biased news coverage. Who are just trying to sell their own adverts. Yeah. Pretty much. So anything final you wanted to definitely cover about this thing before I let you go back to shooting space orcs or whatever you were doing? Yeah, that's probably what I should be doing, even though that's part of the evil. I should just give one mention to the second point 
that I brought up, which is there is a danger with this being hit by the same hate of the internet that Marvel got and Star Wars got. It comes up in my mind just because we've spoken about, I think, Star Wars most recently. Did you say that you found that Disney caved to their more bigoted fans? That was a thing. The way that The Rise of Skywalker turned out would certainly suggest that they listened to the wrong people Mm. when creating that film, yes. I would say that one of the big dangers for Warhammer 40k is that there is going to be a similar audience, and that audience is going to be part of the 40k fan base and is therefore going to have a big voice in this. It's certainly not all the audience, but I think it's going to be loud enough to be heard that are going to say things like, a space marine has to be this type of person. They've managed to break the race boundary with space marines already, but the idea of having a female space marine is not going to go down well with some parts of the audience. I'm kind of hoping it's not big enough to do any damage, but I think the voice will be loud enough that you are going to see it on the internet when Henry Cavill starts talking more, when we start to get more adverts and so on. And when you see your first female space marine, as I think they are going to have to do, but when you see that first one, whichever actress gets that role is going to get some hideous abuse online. I'll put money on it. And she might not be white as well. And that is a draw commentary. I think it won't draw necessarily as much commentary because they've already broken the race barrier with space marines because it's a whole galaxy there are people of different cultures everywhere so it will still hit but you're definitely going to see challenge to her gender and i don't know what their answer is whether they're going to cave whether they're going to comment on it whether henry cavill will come out himself i'll be interested so i just wanted to chuck that in at the end just to say it's something that i'm going to look out for because it's another one where you think If they do the satire angle of this correctly, and I don't want them to do a She-Hulk one where they just say, ha-ha, you watched our stuff and you're stupid. I don't want them to do that. But if they could do some sort of, well, what I wanted from She-Hulk, if they could lead by example and just not get caught in the back and forth trolling, then I think they can do a good thing. And they can hopefully just leave these commenters behind as if they were the forces of chaos from warhammer's own background which the best way of dealing with it is to not fall to their corruption you just don't become corrupt and you move on and you be the better person we'll see i hope he does but i think he's got a challenge ahead of him you get that in every fandom don't you but it's inevitable now yeah it was she honk that brought it to my attention more just because disney has decided first of all maybe with rise of skywalker to not acknowledge it and then they went with she hulk the other way and said no you have the full right to attack your audience and neither of these solutions are currently good so we hope that future people can pick a better one yeah cool well well i'll let you get back to making the galaxy a slightly better or worse place depending on where your alignment is exactly whichever it is you want to do you can go forth and do that i will thank you for your insight into this deeply complicated franchise no problem as long as you play the correct outro music for me as i go off to my choral fanfare then i'm, I'm happy well we'll make that happen good
there we go. Aaron has enlightened us about Warhammer 40k and he didn't kill me. So that's two potential deaths I've avoided on this recording. A very busy guest studied news podcast, this one. <laughs> Had everybody Yeah, else. there's been lots. Only Andrew and Issa are missing, but they're mentioned, so that counts, I guess. Let's move on to some of our miscellaneous news items. The first one is Michelle Yeoh is going to star in the Wicked movies as Madame Morrible, and I don't really know who that is. I've seen Wicked, but I don't remember it that well. Neither do I. I like Michelle Yeoh, so good stuff. Yeah, I'm just looking to see if they describe who the character is, because that would be actually useful. I'm absolutely fine with just saying Michelle Yeoh is a good piece of casting in anything, no matter what the character is, and how happily move on to something else. Yeah. My question always when you hear that Michelle Yeoh is cast in anything is, where is she finding the time to do all this? She's in everything. <laughs> she is everywhere. She's in everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh. Oh. You have to give me that one. That was very clever. Yeah, I will give you it, begrudgingly. <laughs> but she's going to be in those things. The Wicked movies are set for release on Christmas in 2024 and 2025. And Wicked is, of course, a prequel to The Wizard of Oz. And it's a musical. You get to say this Christmas now, Craig. No, because 2024 is next year at the time of release. Oh, of course. You've just cut out all of 2023. Yeah, why not? That's going to happen anyway. It'll be rubbish. Let's move on. Taylor Swift is going to be having a go at directing a movie for Searchlight Pictures. Taylor is a once-in-a-generation artist and storyteller, it says. It is a genuine joy and privilege to collaborate with her as she embarks on this exciting and new creative journey. It doesn't say what the film's going to be about or who will be in it but she's going to be directing a film. I think it's one of those things where Taylor Swift is this powerhouse entertainer that it's just too big to fail at anything. And it's one of those really rich and talented and influential person gets to do this thing that other people find difficult to get an opportunity to do. But she's also a female director getting her first try at something, so that's great. But it's interesting that she has to be at the level she is in order to get that opportunity. Yeah, I guess so, but... Don't see a problem with it. Like you say, there's no description of what she's making, but it's interesting that she's going to be doing it. She's done bits and pieces of acting in the past, and obviously she's been in her own music videos, but we'll see how she takes to directing. Maybe she could direct this next bit, but she isn't. The Mean Girls musical has got some casting. And Guri Rice, Renee Rapp, Alul Cravalho, I can't pronounce that name. She was Moana. And Jaquel Spivy to star in this Mean Girls musical. The film is based on the stage musical Mean Girls, written by Tina Fey, which was also a film. And now the musical is going to be a film. I really liked Mean Girls as a movie. I think everybody that watches it likes it, even though it on the surface seems like it will be trash. But it's a really interesting exploration of just how hierarchies and schools work and things like that. It's obviously exaggerated for comedy and, and stuff like that, but it's really good and it's got a really good cast. So the fact that they're making a musical out of it makes sense or they've already done it it's already on stage but makes sense it'll be interesting to see there's new cast that seem just as good at least on paper as the originals unfortunately i've never watched mean girls and i've not seen the musical but i'm glad that they are doing a thing <laughs> fair enough you should watch mean girls i think you would enjoy it just get it out of your head that it's a chick flick because it's not really and even then Men can watch chick flicks too. We have the choice. <laughs> Next bit of news is the Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel has a director. Gil Keenan is going to be directing the movie. The cast that were in the previous movie are returning, which I presume means the old actors as well. 
Not much is known about the sequel, but sources say the plan is to return to New York City in the iconic firehouse. Keenan has directed such films as Monster House, City of Ember, and last year's A Boy Called Christmas. I haven't seen those, but sure. I didn't like Afterlife, but I wonder if some fresh eyes on it could get away from the things I didn't like about it. Unfortunately, I'm going to be really boring on this one as well. I've still not seen Afterlife. It was on the list of things for me to eventually catch up with, but I've just never got around to it. Yeah, it's not very good. Move on to something that you probably will watch, though. John Cena and Jason Momoa are teaming up for rowdy action comedy Killer Vacation at Warner Brothers. Those familiar to the project compared it to fun, splashy adventures like True Lies. The Killer script was written by Mark and Brian Gunn, and the project will be produced by John Rickard and Peter Safran. The film was packaged and set up at the studio before Safran took the reins with James Gunn at WB Films. Warner Brothers has recruited the muscle-bound actors for their feature project. Plot details for which are currently under wraps, though we imagine it involves a holiday gone wrong. The pair met on the set of the upcoming conclusions to the Fast and Furious franchise, and we're looking to take their natural chemistry to another film. (laughs) I love the idea of seeing John Cena and Jason Momoa sharing the screen, outside of a Fast and Furious movie, because I don't like those films, but this could be a lot of fun. John Cena's always fun, Jason Momoa's always fun, so why not? Yeah, it seems like a good set of casting, and then if you've got an interesting premise, then yeah. Why not? I will caveat that by saying that John Cena is no fun in Fast and Furious. His character is very boring. He's not funny at all. And John Cena is best when he's funny. Mm. But it's an action comedy, so he will be funny. So that's cool. I already can't wait. Remember the Dark Tower film with Idris Elba? Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't work, but they're going to give it another go. Mike Flanagan <laughs> and Trevor Macy are doing the Dark Tower adaptation. It's in the works. Mike Flanagan and Trevor Macy revealed that they managed to get the rights for the Dark Tower books and they're planning their own adaptation of it. I'm kind of encouraged by this because Mike Flanagan got a lot of accolades for his TV shows like Midnight Mass and stuff like that and lots of people love to work with him. So it seems like he's in a good place to take this forward and just make something good out of it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Unfortunately, it's one of those book series that I've not really read so i don't have a ton of connection to it but i know people are quite passionate about it so if there's a new adaptation coming along i hope people get what they want out of it you know there's these books floating about that people deem unfilmable lord of the rings was one of them and then they filmed it the dark tower is another and then they filmed it and then proved yes it's unfilmable at least under these conditions it's terrible it's this weird stephen king multiverse story involving all of his books for example you've got the psychic ability from the shining and the gunslinger which is i guess a dark tower creation i don't know an awful lot about the ins and outs of it but i know that it draws in material from all of stephen king's things and sort of puts them in a blender which makes it really difficult to make something out of. The Idris Elba film was about his character, the gunslinger, trying to protect a kid that had The Shining, which is the psychic ability thing. But yeah, all of Mike Flanagan's stuff, anybody I've spoken to that's watched them said they were incredible. I haven't watched them myself, but when you hear names like that attached to it, it's like when Neil Gaiman finally got to do Sandman as a Mm. TV show that he got control over. It's one of those, yeah, there's going to be a lot of care and attention put into this in theory. So... We'll find out. But it's curious that they're picking this up again. And I quite like the idea of, let's just throw out that weird Idris Elba thing and we'll just (laughs) start again. (laughs) We'll actually read the books this time and we'll see if we can turn this into something. Flanagan envisions it as a TV series to run for five seasons, followed by two standalone features. Nothing like planning ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe the way to find me some of these complicated stories where it ties a lot in. TV might actually be suited better for it than trying to do films 
Yeah, you have more time. You have more time to dwell on it. You might not have the same budget to spend on certain things, but you're able to then have a longer story. You're able to draw out certain elements, whereas if you were to try and do it as a one-and-done film, you're going to hit against a wall. Yeah, so we'll see how that shapes out over the coming weeks, months, years, whatever it is. Next up is another video game adaptation. We talked about The Last of Us earlier. Amazon is going to be making a God of War TV series. The streamer is Green Letter series based on the award-winning PlayStation game. The Wheel of Time's Rafe Judkins will serve as showrunner, and Oscar nominees Mark Ferguson, Hawk Ospey, who wrote Children of Men, Iron Man, The Expanse, and so on, are writing and executive producing with Judkins. That's about it. It'll be interesting to see what they do with this, because there's two periods of God of War. There's the PS2 games that are hack and slash and about insane violence and all that stuff. And then you've got the more modern ones that are still that, but also a more meditative father-son story. So are they going to start with him hacking and slashing his way through the gods of Olympus? Or are they going to start with the father-son thing? I feel like they will start with the latter, because that's the thing that's been most prominent of late. And that's the things that more people might know about, but I don't know. I think you've probably got the potential to do both. I think you'll have the more, I'm going to say the more modern, but the more recent story of the father-son, but then you're going to get flashbacks to the past, aren't you? Could be, yeah. I think that's kind of the way that they would end up doing it, rather than doing an origin tale all the way up to the current realm. Unless, again, they sit there going, right, we've got 20 seasons of this planned out. (laughs) This is how we're going to start. Well, son, let me tell you about the time I cut Zeus's head off. And then they flash back to him cutting Zeus's head off. Hey, kids, let me tell you the story of how I met your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wonder who they would cast. Maybe The Rock wants to do it. Just think of big people in Hollywood. So your your former wrestlers are probably on top of that list. I don't find Kratos that interesting a character, to be honest. I think I played the first PlayStation 2 game and I, I thought it was fine. I didn't play the others. There's quite a high skill ceiling on those games. So if, if you don't learn all the combos and stuff, you'll struggle to get through it. So I found myself repeating sections a lot because I wasn't able to retain the combos. So I was just hoping I would get lucky some of the time on normal difficulty, I think it was. I played the PS4 God of War game, the more recent one, the father-son one, and that was good enough. I enjoyed it enough and... I found some of the fights quite challenging. I haven't played Ragnarok yet. I imagine I'll play it in a couple of years once it's cheaper or free or someone lends it to me or something like that. But it makes sense that they're going to turn this into something because it's a story that could be very easily adapted as a TV show, I think. Certainly the modern games could be very easily adapted because there's a father and son going through Norse mythology in a boat. So there's a lot of introspective moments where they're rowing in this boat and talking about life and various other things. Yeah, there's a lot of those things that are quite popular at the moment, plus you've seen the success of some other video game TV adaptations. You know, you were sort of saying that the movie versus Cursed, but some of the TV stuff seems to be going okay for them. So I imagine there's a lot of looking about for properties that you could convert easily. Yeah, probably. So I, I imagine they're sort of looking for story that is easy to put on screen. Maybe they'll tie it back and forward. Like you say, I know that originally it was some of it was the Greek mythology, wasn't it? And then it moved to the Norse mythology. Am I right? I've not really played the games. That's my problem. I've watched others on Twitch. Yeah, so the original three games is Kratos hacking his way through the gods of Olympus. He's like a Spartan who died and then is sent back to Earth to do something for the gods and then they screw him over so he decides well i'm going to kill you all then and he does that over the course of three games and then yes you get to the modern games and it's norse mythology in god of war ragnarok you fight thor at some point 
In the first God of War game, you don't really fight any of the known Norse gods, actually. They're sort of mentioned, but you're fighting other things. But fighting Thor in the sequel, I don't know what it's like because I've not played it. But I've seen what Thor looks like in those games. And he looks like how he would have been described in Norse mythology, as in he doesn't look like Chris Hemsworth. He's quite a fat guy, <laughs> but he's really strong. And you get that a lot with these ancient myths. They are described as being quite large men, but not large in the sense of six packs or whatever. They're very fat, but they're also very powerful. So you won't be fighting Chris Hemsworth, Thor. It'd be interesting if they do adapt the Norse mythology, because then you're rubbing up against the fact that Thor has played with that in the MCU a bit, and they'll probably do a more traditional take on it. But we'll see what it shapes out, because like I say, there's two eras of these games. Which one do you do? Where do you start? My guess is they're going to start with the one that's currently running. I would say so. With elements of the flashback stuff, I think you're going to get bits of that there. That's my pitch, but we'll see. Moving on, we have two more bits of casting for the Anna de Armas John Wick spin-off, The Ballerina, Norman Reedus, who is obviously in The Walking Dead, and Gabriel Byrne are both cast in the show. Byrne's other recent film and television credits include the smash hit Hereditary and the acclaimed limited series 000. So that's another two bits of casting for that movie. I'm really looking forward to that. It'll be interesting to see Anna de Armas as a kick-ass assassin ballerina. Yeah, I'm kind of up for that. It sounds interesting. I've not got a huge fixation on that universe in the same way, but it's interesting casting so far. And John Wick 4 will be out next year slash this year. Mm. So that'll be fun. Time to revisit the John Wick movies, I think. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Approaching the end of our list now, the next bit of news is after 25 years, Ash and Pikachu are going to be leaving the Pokemon anime behind. They are not going to be in it anymore. A special Pokemon trailer highlights the coming changes to the franchise's world. It reminds us of the journey that Ash and Pikachu have gone on. There's a lot to look back on. After all, Pokemon began to air in Japan in 1997, and it came shortly thereafter to the US in 1998. But he's been on an endless journey. He's still 10 somehow, despite it being 25 years. There was that joke about when they finally made him win a Pokemon League in the show, which was only a couple of years ago, and it was he's a 10-year-old with 23 years of experience, what every employer's looking for. So what do you think of Ash and Pikachu leaving Pokemon? I was really surprised when I read this because in my head, I just assumed that Pokemon had been through multiple reboots over time. I didn't realise that apparently the canon is 25 years strong. <laughs> so it actually came as a bit of a surprise to me. But fair enough. They're wanting to try with new characters and put something different in place. It's a shame it's the end of an era. But yeah, it's interesting that they've already got a plan of how they're going to continue it forward. But came as a bit of a surprise to me that it hadn't changed in 25 years. I stopped watching it a long time ago, but as I understand it, the structure of the show is simply that Ash will work his way through one region, probably lose like he did most of the time with the Pokemon League and then move on to another one. And what that usually does is it coincides with the release of the next generation of games. So mm. he'll end up with the starter Pokemon from those games and he'll explore the world in the same way he did in the first series, going from place to place meeting different types of Pokemon and making stories out of whatever those Pokemon are capable of doing. And it just keeps doing that. So in terms of continuity, it probably really has none, but it's just that Ash goes from region to region, just essentially learning the same lessons over and over again. And that's what a lot of fans of the show have complained about, the fact that Ash never actually develops as a character, because he's always this clueless, impulsive idiot that just goes from place to place, making the same mistakes over and over again. Because I guess it's designed as a show where everything is the same at the end of each episode and people don't want that anymore. Or maybe people never wanted that, but 
I remember when I was watching it, it was very much that structure of following the path that was laid out in red and blue and yellow. And then he got to the Pokemon League and then he went somewhere else. And that's where I dropped off from it. Yeah, it gets repetitive and if the character's not being allowed to develop. But I hope that they're able to do something different and it's not just, oh, we've got a couple of new characters that are going to do the exact same thing again. But maybe it gives them the opportunity to tell a different kind of story, different sort of interactions. Yeah, they can revamp a little bit. Obviously, as it's a games thing, ultimately they're looking to just introduce more modern Pokemon. Yeah, it's a companion series to the games. It's designed so that kids will watch it and really want to play the games. And i got to say, that really worked on me way back when it first started airing. I was mm. watching it, I was like, oh, I play these games. And eventually I did, and I loved them. And I've always loved Pokemon. It's not something I ever feel like I want to necessarily dip my toe into completely anymore, but sometimes I just have the hankering. I've got a Game Boy Advance emulator on my phone, and I've got Fire Red installed on that. And the best thing about it is it has a fast-forward feature, so I don't have to deal with how slow the game is. I've got Pokemon Scarlet on the Switch. I've not played it yet. But we are getting two new protagonists for the series called Rico and Roy. The duo of protagonists will continue unraveling the mysteries of the Pokemon world. The new series will feature more modern Pokemon like those we met in Scarlet and Violet. So we're pretty far away from me choosing little Charmander in the first game hmm. or Ash getting stuck with Pikachu in the first episode of the show. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting development and who knows, maybe it just won't take and they'll bring Ash back after a season. There's normally the thing where your protagonist disappears for a bit and then that season or the next again season they tease the fact that they will be appearing in an episode to try and drum up a bit of publicity. Yeah, I wonder if there'll be a passing of the torch of some sort. You'd think there'd be something. Yeah. I wonder if the show can sustain itself without having Pikachu at the front because Pikachu's been the mascot of the franchise for so long now. Mm. No other Pokemon has quite captured that zeitgeist in the way that Pikachu has. He's the first baby Yoda. I haven't thought of him like that before, but you're probably right. Merchandise to the hilt. <laughs> anyway, that's that. I don't have much more to say on that, but yeah. Pokemon, moving on. Will I watch the first episode of the new series to see what it's like? Probably not. For those that will, I hope it works out for you. Final bits of news are related to Nicolas Cage. We'll end on a Cage note. The first bit is for Renfield. He did an interview with Empire that's quite interesting to read. But for Renfield, Nicolas Cage went back to the source of all iconic vampire depictions on screen. A hundred-year-old German expressionist masterpiece Nosferatu. He said, I noticed all these little gestures that are, by today's standards, over the top. When Max Schreck does that, snaps his wrist and extends his fingers and puffs into smoke, I was like, what is that? Is it dance? What is he conveying there? Cage tried to channel similar mannerisms into his own performance, though whether they make the final cut remains to be seen. And then he said to Chris McKay that he really wanted to find a place to put that in Renfield. He hasn't seen the movie, so they don't know if they kept it in. Basically, the suggestion is he wants to play essentially a pop art version of Dracula. So that's Nicolas Cage just really diving into his roles as usual. <laughs> I'm all up for crazy pop art Dracula. Why not? I'm not going to tell him no. Whatever Nicolas Cage's process is, I'm into it. Yeah. And the last bit of news is that he wants to start in a musical, purely because he hasn't done one yet. And again... 100% for this. If he wants to be in a musical, he could be in a musical. I have no notes. <laughs> I just ask, I humbly request that it's got as many jazz hands as possible. <laughs> he said, I haven't done a musical yet. I'd like to try that. I'm not much of a singer. I did sing okay in Wild at Heart, I thought, but I've since blown my voice out singing Purple Rain incorrectly in karaoke bars. Imagine going into a karaoke bar and you see Nicolas Cage belting out Purple Rain. 
That would be life-changing. If there's a musical role he could pick, he said, I think I'd make a good Pontius Pilate in Jesus Christ Superstar. (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely great. It's a good note to end on, isn't it? Nicolas Cage doing pop art Dracula and a musical. Imagine he did both at the same time. I'm kind of for a Dracula musical starring Nicolas Cage, I'm not going to lie. Yep. Go on, Nick. Get it done. Or just Cage, exclamation mark, the musical would be enough. Sort of a sequel to The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? Yes. Where his life is a musical now for some reason. He goes in a coma or something and then that's how he imagines his life as a musical. And then he portrays the rest of his life as a musical up until he wakes back up at the end. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd much rather see that than Joker. It's after he turns down a role in a musical, so that's why it's playing in his head at the time. Then he gets hit by a plant pot falling from a window as he walks out the meeting. If that film now gets made, we can sue because we're on record as having the idea. (laughs) We've got to mail it to ourselves with today's date written on it or something. I don't know. Is having it recorded at a certain date not enough? (laughs) I don't know. We'll get the legal guys on it. I'm quite happy to be referenced for the story. (laughs) Just pay me some money and I'll shut up. Yeah. The story by us, everything else by everyone else. (laughs) Pretty much. Our involvement ends here. So that's it. That's the end of news for December 2022. Big month for news. The Hollywood machine didn't decide to slow down for the end of the year because why would they? It's too much content to talk about. But there we did it. So, Chris, thank you for appearing for the first news podcast of the year. You're welcome. I'm now off to hide because apparently that's what I do now. Yeah, and thanks to everybody else who dropped in to say hello during the first podcast of the year. It was really good, getting almost the whole team involved in the first one of the year. I don't know that we've ever done that before. Well, we still haven't. We still haven't got the whole team involved. That's the challenge for next year, get everybody involved in the first one of the year. Mark the calendar right now. So that was our discussion of December 2022's news and trailers. I do want to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music. And if you like what you heard, please do hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Wherever you're listening to this, there's probably a subscribe button. Please do press it. And a lot of places now have the option to rate and review. So please do that. Usually they offer some kind of star rating situation. So Chris, how many stars should people give us? Five or ten or like 20 or whatever's available. Whatever's available, but usually five. So do that. Thank you. Thank you for doing that, whoever you are. Give us those sweet, sweet stars if we will reach for them. There we go. i got a crappy lyric in there too. <laughs> if you want to reach out to us and talk about anything that we discussed here, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter on Neil Before Blog, or you can leave us a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. <laughs>